Welcome to episode 1993 of Sunglasses at Night podcast. Oh, what a great year. It was a fantastic year. Um, I don't know anything that happened in this year. Should I should I do a real quick Google just to sort of... <laughs> let, we'll cut that bit out. We'll set the scene. What a great year. Was mm. it a great year, Tom? Can you remember when uh, police officers were found not guilty of attacking Rodney King? Yes. Remember that? What a great year. What a great year. Can you remember when terrorists attacked the World Trade Center, killing seven people? I can't do that. In a way that apparently that. didn't serve as a warning. No, that's the thing, isn't it? The World Trade Center, they should have known by 2001. Mm. They had 1993. Well, they kind to, of did. Bill yep. Clinton spent most of his entire time in office. Uh, Just trying yeah. to get Osama bin Laden. Yeah, exactly. Anyway. <laughs> Can you remember the confrontation in Waco? Remember that? Remember oh, David that Koresh? Was this year, fucking hell. Good times. Um, so I've just quickly gone on to History Central, and those were the top stories of 1993. I so. must admit, I was trying to, I was racking my brains trying to remember if this was the year that there was one song in here that confronted racism, uh, oh. or rather, a song on an album did. Yep. And. I was trying to remember if this was the year of the Rodney King beatings, but it was last year. Then the trial dragged on into '93, and yeah, hence okay. the, and then they oh, were yeah, right. appropriately non guilty because you know, as Bill Hicks said, you know, there's a lot of ways you can look at that tape. You know, <laughs> if you play it backwards, you see them help him up and send him on his way. You know? Certainly, and there's a cruel irony because I think if he had been found guilty, then you know the officers would have went to prison. And then life would have moved on and justice would have been served. But because he was found not guilty, there was a lot of riots. Things got mm. set on fire. 50 people died in those riots, Tom. Jeez. So more people died in the riots than, you know, in the actual incident themselves. So, and look, nothing's changed because you fast forward uh, George <laughs> yeah, Floyd. It's um, set it's, an excellent pretty... precedent that we're not dealing with right now. Absolutely. Anyway, you just, you yeah. know. For sure. So, look, but anyway, let's move on to the songs. Let's let's move sure. on to the, you know, to the happy times. That's a great times topic year, to start so. the show with. For sure. Waco. <laughs> this is the problem uh, with history. It's fucking depressing. <laughs> well, yeah, when you Google those things, it's only bad news. You know, it's sort of... Um, that's why 87 was great, because we could just talk about... I can't remember what happened then, but what 83 was great. We could talk about America's Cup. That was 88. <laughs> well, I was going to say, oh, 93, five years after the year, because that's the only thing I can remember is fucking the centennial. Absolutely. Centennial. All I know is that um, we can reference the Olympics every four years, because mm. that's a feel-good story. Mm, yes. Remember when some guy remember won something when, and something. Yes. Yeah, it's good. So, anyway... Um, you may recall from 1992, Whitney Houston, I Will Always Love You. Just just sort yes. of snuck in at the end there. Um, Ten weeks. Yeah. and World um, record. Yeah, eight um, of those were this year. Yeah. 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 And, well, in America it was 12 weeks, which is, an I think that's a still as yet unbroken record wow. for a female artist in number okay. one. Like, 12 weeks in a row. That's just bananas. Fantastic. So this song um, took you through to the end of February. So What would um, you have to do on the internet nowadays, Ben, in yep. today's fast-paced world yep. of Sonic the Hedgehog and so forth? <laughs> 
Just t- angry birds. To keep yeah. people's attention for 12 continuous weeks. Look, it's a fair question. It's a really good question. Is there anything that could do that? Um, well, I think we'll find out uh, 27 episodes in that Tones and Eyes, um, <laughs> Dance Monkey was number one for about 20 weeks. So oh fuck knows what she was doing. But I blame parents of small children well, I or think the small children themselves we've discussed this before I blame the Spotify algorithms and uh, I blame people yes. pressing play on a playlist and then jumping in a pool yes. for two hours or going yes. to take a dump or do the washing up or something and then the next thing you know they've streamed all these songs that they, they weren't even in the room to but listen to that's a good to. point so that yeah. all adds up and it's like oh look a billion people listen to Tones and I it's like yeah but 900 million of those yes. were on the shitter not listening to this song. So. At some point in the future, we are going to have to come to the terms with the fact that, yeah, a, digi- a, a digital download does not equal buying a song no, the way it is. It is not stream, the same thing. A Spotify as, stream no, definitely is not, not the equal. same thing as handing over money for a song. Like, it just doesn't equate to it. Oh, for sure. Walking into Wheels in the Quadrant and Which handing is... over $4 for a Paula Abdul and MC <laughs> Scat Cat opposites a track Casingle is not the same. As no. just streaming no. Dance Monkey. And, I mean, I know that makes me sound like an old person, but I just mean in the sense that the charts don't reflect the same type of engagement as it used to. You know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's no engagement. I completely agree. The same way as like a, spot, like a YouTube view does not equate to someone watching a full episode of a TV show or something. Oh, exactly. You know, it doesn't. So the fact that somebody clicked on something, watched X amount of it, then yep. clicked it off, you know. Oh, for sure. Completely agree. So, look, we can discuss that in further detail. I, I want to try and see if we can drill down on some of this Spotify data and find out how many people are, are paid, you know, I guess, because you've got a free account. How many people are paying for this? How many are free? How many people... Can we survey people? How many people, you know, that... You do those interview Spotify things and it comes to and it says, your most streamed song was X. And it's like, I've never heard this song before in my life. So... Um, which I don't use Spotify that much, but I remember last year it was like, here's your top five songs, and he was like, I haven't heard of four of these. So it's obviously yes. a playlist that my kids have put on or some shit, and I'm outside just doing whatever, you know, and then it's just like, oh, yeah, there you go. Baby Shark, you know, more song of the year, good times. <laughs> yes, so let's say 1993, you had to do more than just be two cute baby sharks to stay at number one for 10 weeks. You had to be um, in the bodyguard, Tom. I think you had to yes. have a, a... And I think it's This sort was of, a friggin' Dolly Parton as well. Uh, yeah. So you've got to be a world-class singer in a worldwide blockbuster singing yep. a song by a world-class songwriter. Yeah. And, yeah, that'll get you to the top. Absolutely. I think... Um, I assume that as we travel through into um, present day, we're going to find a lot fewer soundtrack songs yes it seems to be happening even yep. as we go on the movie songs seem to be fading out T- a few more TV songs starting to come in like definitely like your Miami Vice Miami Vice shows and stuff for sure that will become more popular but yeah there seems to be on. a correlation between big film big song yes. on that film going to number one for a thousand yep. years um, Brian Adams is the king of that shit he just <laughs> loves it so yep. but yeah Whitney she really got uh, 10 weeks of power in Australia off the back of the bodyguard. Good honour. Yeah, no. Um, and and uh, she acted in that too. So it was a double, yeah, totally. was a double sort of double, you know, doing double time on that one. Acting, singing the theme song. You know, Having she's a double threat. Having to pretend to be in love with Kevin Costner, you know. Triple like... threat, absolutely. You know, you can't fake that acting. Um, <laughs> do you reckon Bobby Brown was on set? Just saying, not, not too close, Kevin. 
because I'm a sexy sniper, as you may recall from Humping <laughs> Around right. video. I will take you out. So maybe that's what the film was about. Do you think it was about Kevin? He was the bodyguard for Whitney Houston, and there was a chance that um, <laughs> Bobby Brown, as sexy sniper, who was his ac- her actual husband, might take. Well, he her had out. to make sure that ain't nobody humping around. Well, that's true. Yeah. Um, it's also his prerogative to be a sniper. For sure. And yeah. And some other early Something editions. about Ghostbusters too. <laughs> Ghostbusters too. Yeah, he did okay. do a song in Ghostbusters too, for sure. Um, did was he, that, he did. Was oh, that no. Secret of the Ooze, Ghostbusters too. No, that Sorry. was TNMT. That's too. the other thing. Speaking of music songs, it wasn't just the ones that were popular, but they even the ones that weren't popular, every movie, you know, every big budget family movie had to have a you know, song by a guy in it. So then you start, you know, when you're looking back through the haze of time, you start thinking, was it MC Hammer that did the one about the Adams family <laughs> yeah. where the hand was rapping yep. in this? Oh no, that was, was that Bobby Brown or was it Vanilla Rice? Yeah. That, was, <laughs> that was the thing. There was Am I thinking so of the ninja many. rap? <laughs> there were so many. It was hard yes. to, these days it's easy to keep track. It's just like, oh, is that Nicki Minaj doing... Mm. Something for some bullshit. You're like, yeah, it is. But yeah, back in the day, you couldn't keep up because you're right. Hammer, Hammer did Tom. Yes, Hammer mm. did do the hand in uh, the Adams family. I've, <laughs> and I've and I've deliberately removed the MC there because he had. And I'm paying yes, respects true. to his proper That's pronouns right. there. I don't want to sort of disrespect him by using something incorrect. But yeah, he ditched the MC, so it was it was just Hammer by that stage. Do so. they still do that thing? I, I don't buy uh, soundtracks much anymore. No. Certainly not current recent ones. Do they still do that thing where there will be exactly two songs in the entire soundtrack that are in the movie? The yep. one that plays over the opening credits and the one that plays halfway through the end credits when everyone's left the theatre. <laughs> and the other 12 songs are inspired by yeah, definitely. The, the, the film Speed 2 Cruise Control. <laughs> and you never hear... Even the even the incidental music in the film that you did like isn't on there either. Do you reckon... Do they still do that, do you think? Oh, look, I'd hope they do because that was the brilliance of just saying you've got to... You know how some... much money I wasted on cassettes because of that shit? Yeah. God damn it. You know, sometimes you... I mean, you look at something like... Um, look, you know, we're big fans of Christian Slater here on Sunglasses at Night. Um, you look at something like Pump Up the Volume. Mm. He's a radio DJ. Well, that he's did got, have a good soundtrack. Exactly. That one. Yeah. He's playing 10 songs in the film. Yes. We can put those on the soundtrack. Makes sense. But then there's other films that has True. no music yes. in it whatsoever. And it's just like... Like The Adams a, Family. Yeah, They're not radio DJs. He's, he's, he's a soundtrack with 14 songs on it. It was not one of those songs was in the film. Just, mm. you're right, just Adam's, Adam's groove, <laughs> just MC Hammer in the closing credits. They do what they want to do, say what they want to say. Oh, that's right. Um, yeah, it's good. Good song. So. Okay, well, should we perhaps move into Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> look, 20, 27th of Feb, it took uh, that long to get wow. your first new number one of the year. And it is no other than Sonia Dada, <sighs> You Don't Treat Me No Good No More. Actually, sorry, the song's just called You Don't Treat Me No Good. Mm. Um, Sonia fucking Dada God holy shit I probably shouldn't have got that full Sonia Dada back tattoo <laughs> on the back of this one song but you live and learn you, you know? do I thought they were going places I thought this was a future of music so I've just got and, I, and the tattoo he spelled it S-O-N-Y Oh man, a, on Sonia, top of and it's S O N I A. So he spelled it wrong. So I've got Sonia Dada on the back with a scorpion just to sort of add a bit of taste to the it. The worst but thing is that um, Ben Affleck saw that and he was so impressed that he got his own <laughs> version as well. I mean, you know, that guy's. They should take him off the market, that tattoo artist, really. Absolutely right, for sure. I mean, it's. Yeah, anyway, look, live and learn. Um, 
Can you believe, Tom, that uh, no one in the rest of the world gave a flying fuck about this song? It was only a number one hit in Australia. I believe that. Yep. Even at the age of 15, I could not understand why anyone in Australia gave a flying yep. fuck about this um, song. It sold 200,000 copies in Australia. God, that it. seems That's insane so to me. So many for Australia. I think yeah. Platinum Australia is about 20,000 copies. <laughs> I think it is. It's not this is that going 10 many. times Platinum. Oh, Lord. At the time, the population of Australia would have been under 20 million, so... That's like more than 1% of the population Far owned a copy of too this at the many. time. And so. it was just endlessly played on the radio yep. because it fit onto like, what do they call it? Uh, AOR as well. Like it's it's classic rock, but you can also play it safely on quasi-oldie stations without oh, offending no people. Oh, no doubt. Like, yeah, for sure. certainly doesn't have enough testicles to offend anybody. No, definitely. It, it definitely did a bit of, um, yeah, you're right, double duty on sort of shitty... Did this song come out 50 years ago, radio, plus this yes. is actually a current yeah. hit? So, um, But look, they also had the follow-up song, You Ain't Thinking About Me, which also hit number three <sighs> in, is, in Australia, number two in NZ. It, it was the same song. <laughs> exactly no the no same song. fucking fooled Sonia. Absolutely. Look, what I found interesting about this song is that, um, look, they're from Chicago. They formed in 1990. Um, founding member, um, Daniel Pritzker... Um, he found the other members of Sonia Dada just in a subway station. He Sounds was walking. He was in the subway. Right. He was in Chicago. He's got off. A, he's got off the subway train. He's going somewhere. These three dudes are doing some busking. I don't know mm. what they're doing. What song they're doing? Probably Billy. Probably Caribbean Queen. Billy Ocean. <laughs> I imagine something yeah. like that. Maybe um, harmonies. Oh, for sure. Probably maybe Dancing on the Ceiling by Lionel Richie. Something like that. So he found those guys in the subway. Went. These guys are fantastic. Um, formed the band. Now. Interestingly, um, Pritzker uh, was ranked 353rd in the 2020 list of the 400 richest Americans by Forbes magazine with a net worth of $2.4 billion. Now, uh, Tom, just before, mm, just, just before you sure. interrupt there, he didn't make $2.4 million from Sonia Dada. <laughs> so Good, he didn't do that. Um, he inherited a billion dollars. Ah, uh, so. yes. In the grand tradition of billionaires, he pulled himself up by his bootstraps. Absolutely. If you define bootstraps as, my parents gave me a billion dollars. For sure. Now, look, yeah, Sonia Dada, they're definitely not a billion dollar band. I can confirm that. No, um, no. I would describe them as a three-piece feed from KFC <laughs> band. Are they a thousand dollar band? <laughs> not... Not $100 any sense that I would give them. Seriously, this song was just one of those ones. Both of these, they just Pretty gave me the shits. They're incredibly dull. They don't even have the kind of, the sort of low-grade sleaze grind of your kind of um, low-key sleaze of like boys to men or that, where at least, yep. you know, they sounded at least, was slightly invigorated by some horned up, you know, oh, yeah. young lust. This is just, it's well, like lame. I, it's, I would say it's like white boy blues, except he's, they're not white, but he's rich. So I would say it's rich boy blues. Oh, like, yeah. like the kind of song written about heartbreak by someone who's never had their heart broken and isn't especially good at music. You know, yeah, like for sure. With oh. acceptable harmonies in the background. Yeah. And it goes fucking ages. It sounds like it's twice as long. And then they did another song which sounds exactly the same. So then it's quadruple. Yep. 
Sorry. Look, I hadn't heard Please. this for many... No, 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 Thomas, fine. Look, I can understand all of your grievances with this song. I'd not heard it for many a year. Um, I struggled to get through the four minutes. I know. For, the, for re, you know, I do it's do research for this show. It's amazing how long four minutes can it's, be it's sometimes. Like, I, thought, I thought it went Christ. forever. So I thought that there was some sort of rip in the space-time continuum. This seemed to go forever. Um, and yeah, look, I couldn't... Having listened to this... Um, watching the music video to do the research for this podcast um, I can't imagine ever wanting to hear this song ever again for the rest of my life is that a fair assessment? 100% now Tom let's imagine you've inherited a billion let's say two billion let's say you've got a rich uncle you didn't know existed two billion you've given a bill Mm. so Ross your brother he's got a billion (laughs) you've got a billion you've gone out you, what you probably bought a house you'd probably do that you'd buy a sick a really sick house on the waterfront would you buy a yacht Maybe. 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 Would you go to KFC and get all the wicked wings and hot rods they had there? Just clear the table. Give me all of those. Might do, you know, Scientology. You uh, do John Travolta some... style. Just take over a KFC for a whole afternoon. Well, just why one not? Time, for yeah. sure. Just anyone that comes in, whatever Treat you want, maybe it's on the That's house. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> probably a couple of slabs of Woodstock bourbon, the 12% ones. You would do that. Yeah, fancy. Yep. Absolutely. You'd get, you wouldn't go to the weak ones. Oh, a new pair of jeans, maybe. Sure. Probably. Do traveling, go, you know, go somewhere. <laughs> Not now, I mean, you know, like in COVID times, you'd go to New Zealand maybe if you could. Maybe you'd go somewhere else in Victoria. Um, at what point do you decide to start an adult contemporary <laughs> soft rock band? Where does that factor into this? <laughs> I think at the absolute maximum, I might uh, try teaching myself to play the bass and yep. do a Keanu Reeves and Dogstar style slumming yes. it, you know... Pretending I'm pretending no one knows who I am up the back while actual talented people Absolutely. take the lead, or maybe a a Jada Pinkett Smith type <laughs> <That> wicked <laughs> wizard. Pretend I pretend <laughs> it's still 1999 and that the new corner the new shit and that you know doing a rap metal band, yeah, yeah absolutely. something like that. That wicked wisdom, um, Jada Pinkett Smith and Wicked Wisdom on David Letterman um, <laughs> live is one of the most cringiest <laughs> things I've like. I get weird like shivers of like embarrassing shivers. I believe they're called the douche chills. The douche chills. Just what it is like. I am so embarrassed for her. Everyone in the band. I'm embarrassed for David Letterman having to introduce. I wouldn't be embarrassed for her. I think she's sufficiently wealthy that she's past the embarrassment threshold where anything you do is validated by the fact that you have enough money. She does like a come on, like she's Zach Delarosa in Rage Against the Machine. I I hope. (laughs) Please tell me that there's one guy out the back with one turntable whose sole job is at one point in the song just to go. I, I think Just they might a, they do a synchronized breakdown. They do a synchronized mosh bit where they all sort of bend down at the waist, and it's like, oh god, it's it's. Um, if you want to see something horrific, just go to YouTube and check out uh, Wicked Wisdom Letterman. Google that and let let the video do the rest. Nonetheless, I bet you it's more entertaining than you don't treat me. No oh, it's, it is like definitely for sure. So I guess the the thing about this guy is, it's about. The chicks that you want to attract, yeah. Let's face it, okay. He, he's <laughs> he's got a he's inherited dollars. a billion dollars, so he's not oh. doing this for money. Like I guess people start bands for several reasons. I True. guess money, yeah, fame, yeah, chicks. They're probably mm-hmm. the three main ones. This dude doesn't need money. Does he want the fame? Yeah, maybe he does. Does he want chicks? Maybe he does as well. Mm. Validation. So validation as well. So I guess it's about the type of band you're starting. You know. I guess if you're, you know, if you're going for sort of the slutty rock chick, 
you'd go for <laughs> you'd start like a Motley Crue style yeah. just you know time's I mean? running out I'd be looking at my watch if you were coming up to that in 1993 uh, true exactly <laughs> the days of the exactly days. if yeah. you want sort of a pensive sort of you know like maybe start like a grunge type Pearl Jam light mm, type thing yes. but is he going strictly after 45-year-old divorcees by starting Sonia Dada? Because that seems yeah. to be the target market. People who shop at David Jones and wear chunky casual knitwear and, you know... Yeah, exactly. ...possibly drive their kids to school on the during the week. I, I honestly don't Look, know. I don't want to question his life choices, but I just think if he's doing this for the women, he's, he's going to attract the yeah. wrong sort of woman by this song. I mean, the obvious thing to say with completely shit music is lowest common denominator. Mm. But then... That still implies a common denominator. Like, is is there a vast groundswell of people thinking, well, I kind of like blues harmony, but what if it sucked more shit and was about nothing? Like, could we make that happen? <laughs> and it was sung by a billionaire and some dudes he found on the fucking train. Exactly. <laughs> like, what if it was way worse than everything I've ever heard and it was a billionaire mm, and some... Yeah, you're right. Yeah, absolutely. But, and depressingly, only somewhere in Australia apparently had the yep. common denominator that was like, yeah, we want a big old piece of that. Absolutely. Yeah, Australia was the only country in the world that cared. But you, you listen to this, watch the music video and the whole video has the vibe of a dude that's inherited a billion dollars he's never had to work a day in his life yeah, he's just fucking around on yeah. an acoustic guitar yeah. the whole song is like one riff and then just some dudes that he's found busking in a subway station he said throw down some vocals I mean did they even want to be there I question that you know, maybe it'd be money. If you're busking on the subway, you need you hanging around with a billionaire quick smart, I reckon, you know. Oh exactly. I mean, I feel like they've never had an offer before. A dude comes yeah, up and says totally. Hey, do you wanna come and be in my band? He's sort of like, uh, I don't know, it's like I've got a billion dollars, I can fund the whole thing. You're just sort of going, Okay, cool. Like imagine you worked at Tesla. And Elon Musk heard that you played the guitar and he's like, bro, you want to be in like a fucking new metal band with me? And you were like, you can't say no. You just have no, to do it. He's going to be like, can't. all right, Elon, that's cool. What? Yeah, you want to play bass yeah. or something? And I reckon this is what it's like. They're saying, hey, guys, you've been busking in the subway for nine years. Come and do this with me. You know, do you want to do this? Not really, but you kind of have to. That's what it felt like you've got to me. that. Yeah, totally, totally. Couldn't Power imbalance. And yep. you've got a... You've got to get out clause, you know, 20 years later, someone comes up to you and says, hey, weren't you in that band with with Sonia Dada and Elon Musk when they tried <laughs> to fly to Mars and start, you know, a, a music-based colony? Absolutely. And all you can say, you just have to say, look, just money can't buy taste. What can I tell you? <laughs> it was you know, a simpler time. It bought exactly. me a house, but it does not buy you taste. So. For sure. Look, I think um, in no uncertain terms, Tom, this is pretty shit. Oh, so, it's effing appalling. Is there a lyrical highlight at least or not? You know how there are some words that everyone seems to hate, you know? Yeah. Or a lot of people just seem to be like, you know, like moist, poor, <laughs> dutton, you know. And another one, common one, is describing your partner as your lover. Oh, yeah. Who the fuck still calls their partner their lover? Especially lover. in cat conversation. Well, Sonia does. He does it 57 times in this song. Does he? I fucking count it. And it yep. does not get any better with repetition. The entire song is boring as shit. Like Billy Joel's worst work. The whole lyrics are just a seemingly endless repetition of the title in different phrasing. Yeah. E.g. 
The whole song is just him complaining about how his lover or woman don't treat him no good no more, so he's walking out the door. Yeah. Doesn't really have proper verses or choruses, which can work if it's an interesting song, but not one where you're just moaning like a little bitch for five interminable minutes and using the word lover 57 times. Yeah, bullshit. And yeah, the fact that he's some trust fund cop lord who's never worked a day in his life just puts the diarrhea icing on the shit cake. Yeah, absolutely. Really? Sorry. It makes me depressed that this was... Fucking so popular in Australia. Only got four weeks, but yeah. Go. Yeah, but still, oh man, anyway. If you walked out of uh, Melbourne Central time and you heard some dudes playing this on an acoustic guitar, would you? how much money would you throw in the case or just keep on walking? I would keep on fucking walking. I would give them no money. This is terrible. Um, I'd call Mr. In-Between, see what he could do. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Indeed. So four weeks of that, um, 170,000 people on Spotify, Tom. So it's oh, not a lot, boy. but it's more than I would have thought, given how shit this song it is. It probably still shows up on Best Hits of the 90s yeah, probably does, playlists, yeah. according to your Spotify. And $1.57 on Discogs, which is way too That's much. That's way too much. That's way probably only explained by the fact that it was only popular in Australia. Therefore, Absolutely. they probably didn't print that many. That's true. 200,000 copies sold in Australia. So um, you may know someone, Tom, with this on their bookshelf. By so. the standards. Of, yeah. Oh, a lot of those would be in landfill <laughs> these days, I imagine. <laughs> The vast majority of them, so there you go. Um, so anyway, moving on, 27th of March, um, Ugly Kid Joe, Cats in the Cradle, one mm, week. Mm, How do you feel about this one? Another kind of downbeat song. Absolutely, um, yeah, people were loving downbeat in the year. They were love. look, you've gone, I will always love you, downbeat, don't treat me no good no more, super downbeat. I will always love you, yeah, that's kind of, yeah, yeah, sort of slow. And then Cats in the Cradle, also downbeat. Now look, Tom, personal anecdote on this one, and this is not personal <laughs> anecdote, this is um, Launceston-wide. Uh, Cunningham's in Launceston, used uh, music shop, opened in 1973. I recently found out my recent trip to Launceston. They used to sell like exercise equipment, Bikes and sort yeah. of old tennis pawn rackets. Shop type and all stuff. just yeah, pawn shop. It was just a fucking garbage dump. And then all of a sudden music. And then one day, yeah, one day someone probably brought in a used C D and they went, Oh, I can buy these for five oh, bucks okay. and sell them yep. for ten. So then they got rid of all the cr- crappy fucking lava lamps <laughs> and other bullshit, you know, dream catchers, uh, exercise equipment, etc. And then fast forward a few years and it's basically just CDs. And DVDs and like probably some video games or something. So I remember going into Cunningham's in Launceston um, in probably the the late 90s or early 2000s and there were probably 200 copies (laughs) of Ugly Kid Joe's America's Least Wanted, the album that this song came off. And um, it had, if you don't know, the album covers, I think it's the Statue of Liberty (laughs) flipping the bird, giving the finger. Yeah, it's like a not especially well-drawn cartoon. (laughs) No, not well-drawn at all. Yeah, Statue of Liberty giving you the finger. Um, And there was a special digipack and when you'd open that up it was like a flip out like a fold oh, out fold of out. the statue of giving you the bird so I mean uh, don't tell me that's not edgy though but it's very edgy so I don't know how many copies are there now um, probably about 200 but what this demonstrates to me Tom is what a great album this is because <laughs> what happens is 
Everyone went out and bought a copy for themselves mm-hmm. to own. I had, I probably bought a copy. You brought, everyone bought a copy. They brought a copy for their friend. Mm. Now, the problem is they'd give it to their friend for Christmas, birthday, just, hey, how are you doing on a Saturday? Here's that. They said, I've already got a copy of this because it's such a great album. I don't need two. Mm. Wheels in the Quadrant had a very strict returns policy. So, so the only option was to take your second copy of Ugly Kid Joe America's Least Wanted, take it up to Cunningham's. They'd give you five bucks. They'd put it on the shelf wait for someone to buy it but the problem was no one bought it because everyone already owned one so everybody in Launceston owned yes. a copy of this CD you'd go in there so Cunningham's <laughs> they just piled up and piled up why aren't people buying this because it is such a great album that everyone already owned a copy no one needed another one I, I, I it is a bit of a mystery to me in the sense, I would feel the same way when I would also see their similarly sized wall of uh, Oasis, definitely, maybe, <laughs> and uh, the Presidents of the USA self-titled <laughs> album. That, yeah, as I think we've mentioned before, were easily enough to make it like a two-to-one scale model of the Eiffel Tower out of if it was pretty ugly. Oh, absolutely. But, yeah. like, you would think, like, after the first 200 copies yeah, you turn were stashed away? up, yeah. you think, you know... Well, you know, we might do a big run on them tomorrow, you know, and then I'll be wishing I'd got that 201st copy Absolutely. of the President of the United States sure. debut album. Lump is featured on a, mm, a Michael Bay right. film or something, so we like, everyone's going, what is this song? I better go and buy that album. Anyway, so, look, oh, hey, Cynics games are still running. They you are. Know? They're still going strong. Look, Cynics might say that people bought the album for this song. They might have heard this single, bought the album, then realised none of the other songs sound like this because of course... Of course, um, it is a cover of a yes. 1974 song. The cover's always better than the original. Do you agree with this <laughs> here, Tom, as well? Do you think Harry so? Harry Chapin. Yes, no, definitely. Yeah. Um, what The other stuff on the album, I don't think I've ever heard much off the rest of the album. It's it's more like sort of hair metal uh, stuff, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's, it's, well, I think I'm, I'm going to call it post-hair metal, Tom, which is a new genre I've just invented uh, literally yes, right there. But it's... it's it's. I think what it the is the taint of metal, <laughs> for sure. Halfway between grunge and glam. Yes, <laughs> that's a very good point. It's hard. It's it's a weird time. I think mm, for hard rock. We've I mentioned think, this before. I think they fit yeah. into the hard rock category, and yeah, like it's definitely post hair metal. But this is 1993, so Nevermind has already come out. So grunge is mm. already well on its way. But I sort of have a feeling that... It's still um, taking a while to get its foothold, though. True, very you true. You watch the video clips of anything off uh, Pearl Jam 10, and yeah. they, half the band still look like they could be doing night duty in Whitesnake. You know, they've got... <laughs> Absolutely. You know, they don't have the bouffants, but they've got long hair, they're wearing ridiculous outfits, you know, they've yep. got skin-tight pants on. And, yeah. Is it sort of um, sort of Pantera power metal era before yeah, they yeah, yeah, no, proper, it's like you say, sort of it's like, like people... The, the new style is still finding its identity, you know, it's... To, yeah. yeah. And I mean, this is one of the... I think this is one of those sort of... I don't want, I'm not going to say comedy bands. They're not like Green Jelly or something like that. <laughs> but um, they're sort of, certainly like... You know, didn't take themselves too seriously, light-hearted, you know. So off this album, there was the song Neighbour, Won't You Be My Neighbour, and Uh, and Everything (laughs) About You, remember that? Oh, yes. Everything About You. So they had those other songs. Such scatterbrained about them. (laughs) For sure, for sure. (laughs) So they didn't take themselves too seriously, which I think was their falling down, because right about now, people wanted dudes wearing cardigans sort of singing about being sort of sad about things. So I think, mm. I don't really know. Um, look, did Kurt Cobain kill the career of Ugly Kid Joe? 
Yeah. Could they have gone further if it wasn't for... Well, I like to think of this song as the counterpoint to Three Little Pigs by Green yep. Jello, as you mentioned, from the album <laughs> Serial Killer, which got to number six in Australia this same year. It's a great song. To the point where I had slightly conflated them in my head, I think possibly because of the green <laughs> the green cover of... Yeah, anyway. Number five in the UK and number one in New Zealand. Yep. Uh, they were then sued for train bike infringement by the Jello company and changed their name to Green Jelly. Yep. Uh, the Bad song times. Three Little Pigs features, among other people, Danny Carey on drums and yep. Maynard Keenan from Tool, plus Paulie Shaw doing voices as some of the pigs. <laughs> uh, what the fuck am I talking about? What I'm saying is, like much of the public's attitude to mainstream metal in 93, I'm confused, Ben. I don't know what I want. Yep. Do I want an earnest cover of an old song about inherited abandonment and paternal <laughs> toxicity? Or do I want a claymation retelling of a fairy tale with growly joke lyrics and dodgy Sylvester Stallone impersonations? Do I want a cue for 12 hours to get my cassette copy of Usual Illusion 2 from yeah. Wheels in the Quadrant? Or do I want to shell out for the CD of this new band Nirvana that that total stoner at college is wearing the t-shirt of, you know? Look, it's a, it's a fair question. I think um, if you like guitar music now... I don't know where you turn. There's I'm not so quite many sure. weird options. There's, there, there's a lot of weird op. There's a lot of stuff happening it, in 2021. Just in the last few episodes, we've gone over stuff that I'd completely yep. forgotten, like Screaming Jets and Rat For Cat, sure. and like these weird Absolutely. other guitar bands that were going off in other odd directions. Do you remember so, the fucking Sharp? Oh, what the hell of course, was that about? Back, yeah. Scatterbrain? Um, yeah. <laughs> you mentioned. Don't call me yeah. dude. Exactly. Who were they aimed at? I don't um, know. <laughs> detachable penis. Did detachable. that come out this year, Tom? King Missile. King Missile. Yeah, exactly. Anyway. But I think you're right. At this point in time, which direction do you go? And I think you could. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. And I can recall when I was a kid, I was still probably rock and poison. But I had a copy of Nevermind, and I probably also enjoyed a bit of Ugly Kid Joe. I think you yeah. can sort of. It had a guitar. If you like music with guitars in it, you probably, as a young person, maybe didn't differentiate so much. No, if, if just, I was it few, sounded though, heavy. Yeah, so I was, like, I was probably like eleven yeah. at this stage or twelve. But you know, if I was fifteen, I probably would have been like, oh no, you know, I think by that stage, these guys probably weren't cool enough. I don't, I don't know. I don't, they weren't Metallica. They weren't Nirvana. No, but they, they also weren't like you're saying. I'm still in at this point. I'm still in grade ten, which means that I'm still doing some of my musical judgment based on the idea of would I get beaten up by the guys in the high school gym Absolutely. for wearing a t-shirt of this, even if not literally. Then at the back of my mind, I'm still thinking about for that. Sure. And something like this, you'd go, no, that'd be all right with this. You know, I wouldn't wear an ugly kid Joe shirt, but if they caught you playing this, they wouldn't go, what's this faggot shit? And oh, exactly. Beat you up for it. So yeah. Do you think anyone, did they ever get abbreviated to UKJ? <laughs> Did that ever I happen? Like to think what are you into? I'm into UKJ. I hope so. They'd better do because I think that's sick. I'm going to get a UKJ t-shirt. Did I tell you, Tom, that I I saw someone selling an Ugly Kid Joe America's Least Wanted t-shirt on eBay a couple of weeks ago for fifteen dollars? And I didn't mm. buy it. I turned it down <laughs> at that price point, so I don't know. Well, at least he was selling it for $15. I thought you were going to say that he was trying to get, <laughs> get into the irony level and he was trying to hit some hipster up for 500 hoping that that would convince them that this had some retro appeal. Absolutely. This, this needs another good 10 to 15 years before any retro appeal is going to come through. Oh, we? no doubt, for sure. Um, <laughs> also, because it looks like I drew the front cover of the album. <laughs> that Just never on... helps particularly well. 
Just on the weekend, absolutely, yeah. We haven't talked about album covers much, but they go a surprisingly long way. The same way that book covers do, despite the fucking aphorism that suggests the exact opposite. Don't tell me that Nirvana's Nevermind would have sold as many copies if instead of a cool photo of baby floating after a dollar bill, it had a shittily drawn cartoon of, oh, no doubt, yeah. of Kurt Cobain giving you the finger. Oh, definitely, cover. definitely. <laughs> Look, I've heard stories of, um, well... You read about sort of dudes that, um, and this is not just people like sort of our era as well, but I hear of sort of people that are in bands that I grew up listening to and they're sort of, you know, people that are probably 10 years older than me or maybe a bit older going, oh yeah, I walked into a music shop and I just thought that, you know, the album cover of like an Iron Maiden thing looks sick. Yeah, So I just bought it. I didn't know anything about the band, but I went, that looks pretty cool. Totally. And various other or things. Or if like that. you're trying to pick between two albums, yeah, like, what has the sickest looking cover? It, yeah. yeah, like and if you know, think oh, I want to buy both, but I've only got twenty nine ninety five, which is what I need to buy this plastic, highly destructible cassette. Yeah, and you go, well, that one does look cool. So yeah, absolutely right. The other one's merely a photograph of Huey Lewis. You know, I can do better <laughs> for than sure. That. I can do better than that. So look, I think um, in terms of the song itself. Uh, I, I can think take it or leave it. Everyone story, knows the song, yeah. but yeah, it's, it's just not sort of, terrible. No, it's not terrible. Just a basic story, yeah. and it's just uh, Ugly Kid Joe. They got a, they got their only number one with it, so power to them. Just shows that sometimes you just need a cover yeah. of an old song to As get that said, number one. It's always better. Than it's the always original. better than the original. Um, so good on them. Um, are there any lyrical highlights from this? Uh, the uh, lyrics written by Harry Chapin's wife Sandy. Oh, really? Long, okay. Weirdly, wow. long before their son was born. Okay. She just. Harry looked at it, didn't think much of it, but after their son was born, he was suddenly inspired to write music for it. I guess it was kind of a way of warning himself not to let it happen with his own son. It still mm. seems pretty odd to me, though, to be inspired to write this by your newborn son. I mean, I can't vouch for his relationship with his father, perhaps that inspired him, but his son Josh, who's still around, says that random strangers give him hugs so often that he's gotten gradually used to it over time, either because this song supposedly made them change their relationship with their dad, Yep. you know, like, yeah, or I guess because they assume that it's about him and feel bad for him in that uh, he, you yeah, know, yeah. that his dad wrote it as a sort of apology thing or something but yep. yeah I mean do you reckon like people go up and hug Liv Tyler because of Jamie's got a gun <laughs> assuming that you know it's a true story about, I hope not yeah. or maybe just because she had to pretend to be Ben Affleck's girlfriend that one time <laughs> yeah anyway everyone knows the lyrics of this I always thought the two first lines were a bit dorky my child arrived just the other day came into the world in the usual way you know, I mean, you get the rhyme, but why tell us the second part? Do you think we thought he was like a cabbage patch kid or something? Or did he just show up in a taxi? Sure. Time? <laughs> Absolutely. It rhymes, though. Can't argue with that. It's still better than You Don't Treat Me No Good No More. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Look, this is the best song so far. Right, let's year let's move on, um, please. I've talked enough about 1. it. 1.2 million people on Spotify. Um, that's a lot. Yeah. But they've got a few sort of, I guess... As I mentioned before, I'm assuming Neighbor. they had other albums. Yeah, they I did. Just never fucking yeah, heard no, of, no one yeah. did. I think sort of they were one of those bands that when I was twelve, probably seemed pretty cool. But by the time I was fourteen, <laughs> it was just like no thanks. Look, mate. I had multiple Scatterbrain albums. Yeah, I'm assuming most people have never even fucking heard of them <laughs> and didn't know that you know. Yeah, but but yeah. I think also that was that age, you know, when you're sort of 11, 12, 13, 14, where 
you know, the cool, whatever you're into could be destroyed overnight by something that just came along and you're just like going, actually. True. Maybe, <laughs> maybe Axel wearing those American flag boxer shorts isn't quite as cool Give as. Give me some reggae. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, and 47 cents on uh, Discogs, that's probably, that's a pretty good price. I'd probably, yeah, you know, I wouldn't buy it personally, but someone <laughs> out there might want it for 47 cents. So, one week for that. So, 3rd of April for six weeks, six of the best. Mm. Lenny Kravitz, are you going to go my way? Mm, speaking are of, are you? You know, Mick doing weird shit with guitars, like, what the fuck was this, you know? I yeah. Mean, Exactly. It well, sort of makes sense, I guess, but six weeks at number one? Yeah, it's a lot, for, for sure. Like, for it's sure. not really heavy metal. No. It's rock, but it's not sort of... Yeah, like, I don't know. Yeah, look, it's hard to say. Um, obviously, people in Australia really like this one. Um, do you think this song would have been as big, or Lenny Kravitz would have been as popular if he'd stuck with his original stage name of Romeo Blue? <laughs> what is that... I'm what? assuming he copied that off one of Prince's backup dancers one Fuck time. No, but apparently he, he he's actually I mean his actual name is Lenny Kravitz and he started performing under the name of Romeo Blue and then one day I think someone probably said, "Mate, look, that's fucking bullshit. That's the mm. shittiest name I've heard of. What's your actual name, Lenny Kravitz?" That's actually by itself is a pretty good name. I think that works. Yeah. I think perhaps one day call me call me um cynical but perhaps yep. one day he realized that phonetically if not you know if not yep. uh, exactly Lenny Kravitz works on the same level as Jimi Hendrix yeah you, they're both sort of punchy rock dude yep. names and you remember them whereas Romeo Blue sounds like you know is it as good as Rustler Rock <laughs> or, uh... <laughs> If you if you met someone and they said I said hey mate Tom nice to meet you and I'm like yeah Romeo Blue what would you be like is that your, is that your real name what's going on <laughs> if it's your real name your parents are fucked if that's mm. a, a you know nom de plume then you're a fucking idiot for choosing that that's moronic look I, I don't really know but look this song um, was pretty big uh, six weeks of power obviously look it's not terrible. I think it's fine. No. I'm okay with it. No. Um, it hasn't aged that well, but nah. at the time it was... You yeah, know. exactly. Look, would I put this on myself? Of course not. But if I heard it on Cole's radio while I'm in there yeah. trying to get some toilet paper before it's all taken due to, you know, coronavirus lockdown, you know, and everyone's just gone ape shit and said I need toilet paper for nine years, and this came on, wouldn't mm. be mad about it. That's okay. His songs are very simple. I remember yep. hearing a couple the other day that I hadn't heard for a while. I think they were on a soundtrack, and yep. I was I was surprised at how simple they are. Like yep. his guitar and his voice are the two main thrusts of it, and they're both sort of mixed at almost the same level. Yeah, yeah. So you just get the back and forth, and then there's you know there's drumming in the background, but it's not as complex as something like even like a heavy metal band where you've True. got rhythm guitar bass, keyboard, other shit going on in the background. I'm sure those things are in here, but I just mean it's produced in a way where you're really just designed to hear the guitar tone and his voice. Yeah, and maybe a little drum break. Look, he's playing stuff, a yeah. flying V, I think, in the video clip, which is pretty <laughs> sick. I'll give him that. But um, look, his wife, his real-life wife, his actual wife... Oh, um, Lisa Booney. Yep, she played Denise Huxtable on The Cosby Show. She so did. she fucking dodged a bullet there, I assume. <laughs> um, if she wasn't... Let's hope she did. Let's hope Let's she Hope That's what she did, yeah, for sure. Um, but look, in a 1990 interview on the Phil Donahue show, um, she said that, uh, quote, vaccines could potentially induce, a introduce alien microorganisms into our children's blood. 
that could cause cancer, leukemia, multiple sclerosis, and sudden infant death syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, is she insane, Tom? <laughs> well, it sounds like she was getting on the anti-vaxxer train pretty early yep. in 1990. Hopefully, she got over that for by sure. now, but, you know. She, uh, she's a pioneer, though. She's a pioneer <laughs> of the anti-vaxxer movement. People look at it, though. Look how big it is now. Every, no one wants a vaccine. Everyone's anti-vax. And people might look back and go, why are you an anti-vaxxer? Mm. Oh, because back in 1990, <laughs> uh, the chick that was on the Cosby show said that it could, you know introduce alien DNA into my child's mm. blood and you go, ah, fair enough, that makes perfect sense. Well, it, you know, you could argue that it makes more sense than the people right now, 30 years later, who think that the vaccine's got Bill Gates microchips in it. Well, that's true, that's true. Look, I'm interested <laughs> to know what she's doing now. I, I don't know whether she's still on the anti-vaxxer train. Maybe she's burning down 5G towers these days. I don't, I don't well, really know. Well, she kept doing acting. She yeah. was in... um. High Fidelity, some mm. other things, and her daughter, their daughter is their now daughter's in the High Fidelity TV show. Attractive actress, yeah, she's and she was also in um, Big Little Lies. She did a really good job in that, and of course, she can sing really well yeah. too. She's a musician. I too. think she was in uh, one of those Rocky spin-offs. Uh, the first oh, one. Oh, okay, well, the newer but, ones. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, no. So whatever she did, at least she didn't die of. Yeah, you know, sudden infant death syndrome. <laughs> of course. Of course. Good... Well, I assume she wasn't vaccinated, so that's probably why she didn't die of sudden yeah, infant death syndrome. But... Maybe she was onto something. Yeah, look, that's pretty good. Um, so, look, look, people make whack comments, and as you said, Tom, that was 1990. That was 30 years ago. Maybe she sort of realised the error of her ways in realising that there is no alien DNA in, in those <laughs> sorts of vaccines. But, look, um, look, yeah, I guess just while we're talking about her and the Cosby show... Um, People love the Cosby Show. People love that shit. It but have you seen? Have popular. you seen um, Bill Cosby's 1987 film Leonard Part Six? <laughs> Tom, have you seen this? I have actually. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Look, this is without doubt, and I say this, um, you know, with no hyperbole. This is a bottom ten film of all time, any genre. Do you agree? <laughs> Well, I was about this age when I saw it. Yeah. So I watched it recently, and I can't imagine. <laughs> And I'm and I'm not taught, you know. I'm sort of and by, when I say that, I obviously, you know, a dude uh, that's got three mates together and they're filmed a film over mm. the weekend with like a handy cam. Obviously, it's going to be shitter than that. But in terms of, I guess, something that's major motion picture <laughs> with an actual yes. studio behind professionals it, professionals involved. behind it. I think you know, I would struggle to find ten films worse than that film. <laughs> Um, so, you know, do yourself a favour, Leonard Part 6, go check it out, it's absolutely fucking horrendous. Um, All I yeah. can remember is at one point he rides an ostrich out of an exploding building. Yeah, he does That's do that. That's the only memory <laughs> I have of it. He does do that, so check it out, Just or just watch the trailer, and that two minutes will probably give you everything you need to know, you don't want to waste 90 minutes of your time on this, but sure. yeah, anyway. So, I was always more of a ghost dad fan, anyway. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely absolutely right ghost dad is great so it's um your dad's dad is a ghost it's good that's right um and i guess if bill cosby is a ghost he can't sexually assault you is that how it works because he can't touch you is that how it goes unless he meets up with the ghost from ghost who lives in the subway oh, and okay, teaches, teaches you how to you know interact with the physical world yeah exactly and then yeah. I think Bill Cosby as a ghost is probably in his best form I think <laughs> I don't really think him as an actual person alive today is probably how we yeah. want to see him so but look anyway back to the song um interestingly Tom this was a number one in Australia for six weeks but it wasn't released as a single in the US of A 
because mm. by not releasing it as a single, people yep. had to then go out and buy the whole album. Yeah. So that was, was the a kind very, of shit you could do in 1993. That was the bullshit that, that um, fucking major label was pulled. They were like, yes. oh, people love this song. I can't... Where's the single? Oh, you've got to buy the whole album for it. So, yeah. ridiculous. This is one of the reasons why everybody immediately started using Napster the second they exactly. could. Was because they had to put up with this shit for the last 50 for sure. years. But um, joke's on you, record label, because now, Tom, I'm going to skip forward to uh, my Discogs action. Um... 31 cents for the single, but for 49 cents, you can get the whole album. <laughs> so a savvy shopper will say, wait a second, for an extra 18 cents, I can get all of those songs. So they're going to do that and record label, you know, you're going to look like fucking idiots because it's just like going, well, what's going on? Why aren't people, you know, why aren't people paying 20 bucks for the album these days? Because they realize they can just go into Discogs and get a used one for 50 cents. So I wonder why they didn't do it. In Australia, I don't. Maybe we're a test case. Maybe they release it here. It goes crazy. Yeah. People buy it. And they go, yeah, let's do that. But well, I don't know. Maybe they didn't think anyone here knew who he was, and they wouldn't buy the album. Quite possibly, yeah. yeah. So anyway, so the album's also called "Are You Gonna Go My Way," not just the single. Mm-hmm. Um, and Slash, our favourite uh, member of Guns and Roses, mm-hmm. um, the only man. I don't. Has any man wore a top hat better than Slash? He. Maybe one of the coolest people in the whole world. Absolutely. And, and as yet, he seems to have had no horrible comeuppance or no Me Too movement or no, anything seems, to knock him off. I think he seems good. He's, he's just he's good. He's, like you say, like to be able to, you need breathtaking levels of cool to get away with wearing a fucking um, top hat with belt buckles around it yep. for your entire musical career and just everyone just thinks you're the hottest shit ever. I don't think anyone can wear a top hat these days because <laughs> if you did people would just go oh you're ripping Slash off yes you look like a fucking Slash knockoff that's right do you, you think know. when Slash put that on people went oh you're a fucking Abraham Lincoln knockoff do you think people just went that's what that dude did back in <laughs> well, like 1840 yeah it's true exactly like I don't know but anyway so Slash um, Slash did a guitar solo um on the opening song of the album anyway, called Fields of Joy. And the way that that collaboration came up, Tom, was that Lenny Kravitz met Slash at the American Music Awards. Mm-hmm. And apparently um, Axl Rose is wearing a Let Love Rule button on his jacket, which is um, one of Lenny's previous oh, works. Oh, okay. So there was a bit of, you know, a bit of, bit of fanfare there. They, yep. A lot of enjoyed each other's work. And Slash came up to me and said, Hey, man. I got laid so much to your records, man. I mean, so, isn't that the coolest go. possible way you could introduce yourself to Absolutely. another musician? I mean, For sure. So, Slash, here's <laughs> the secret, ladies, if you're listening to this. If you meet Slash, you go back to his house and he throws on, are you going to be my way? He's looking to bang because that's what he's done. Presumably fairly quickly. Lenny Kravitz, exactly. Lenny Kravitz is... It's not exactly a slow jam. It's not, but it sounds like when Slash wanted to to get ladies um, Mm. into bed, it wasn't just off his own, (laughs) I'm Slash from Guns N' Roses, look how cool I am. I'm the coolest person. I'm wearing a fucking top hat. I'm incredibly handsome. I'm half black. Exactly. I'm half British. Wasn't any of those things. No. It was just off the back of playing um, Lenny Kravitz <laughs> Lenny songs, Kravitz. which is pretty good. And apparently they went to high school together as well. Mm. Um, but Slash didn't know that at the time, probably because he was never there. I just assume uh, he was okay. fucking around on his bicycle and playing guitar. I know he grew he grew up partly in the UK, so yep. I'm not sure oh, how much. Yep. But maybe he went to high school in America. But exactly. So Lenny himself is um, actually 
when talking about this song, um, mm-hmm. I guess the content, the lyrical content, um, I guess the concept, he said, this song is about Jesus Christ. Um, Lenny referred to him as, quote, the ultimate rock star. It's about how God gives choice to man about where to turn. I thought the subject matter was really interesting because it's coming from the mouth of Jesus Christ, as I thought, basically, are you going to go my way, the way of love? Now, this raises a lot of questions, Tom. Is Jesus the ultimate rock star? And what band would he front? Well, when people asked him why he hung out with lepers and hookers, yeah. Jesus used to say that, you know, Christians should go to where the sinners are. Mm. So, I, assuming that he would be the new frontman for Cradle of Filth or no. Cannibal Corpse. <laughs> Absolutely, I think so. Obviously, which should make the re-release of their song, Jesus is a Cunt, uh, oh. seem, you know, at least sort of meta-textual, I suppose. I think know. so, yeah. Look, Jesus would probably front... Some sort of metal band, I think. Mm. Um, and look, when they say, uh, when Lenny says Jesus is the ultimate rock star, um, <laughs> I don't really know whether they had guitars back then. Like, I don't really know. Like, what, But in terms of like attracting a crowd, um, look, I know from research from my book, Tom, The Jesus Christ Diet, which um, has sold approximately four copies oh, on Amazon. Oh, we've got to Amazon. talk about that more. Um, so, the Jesus Diet. Look, I did, a lot of, I did a lot of research for that book, Tom, um, and I can confirm that Jesus, he was banging a lot of chicks. That's all he did. 100%. He was a bit of a he was a bit of a charlatan. He was a bit of a con artist with his, with his crazy miracles. It's the subtext of the entire New Testament is Jesus constantly copping off. Oh, for sure. And I, I think that um, the fact that when you look at that and say, yeah, look, Jesus was out there banging a lot of chicks. It, yeah, probably maybe he was a rock star. I don't know. But I think uh, mm. he, he was obviously involved in um, music, I think, in some some <laughs> sort of way. I think probably more of a drum circle rather than a rock band. But um, yeah, look, I wouldn't be surprised if Lenny, he's onto something here. Well, maybe Jesus is the ultimate rock star. In much the same way as Prince, uh, who was similarly obsessed with uh, the Bible and Christianity yep. some of the time, um, they both seem to simultaneously want to worship at the feet of Jesus and literally be Jesus. Yep. Because if you look at the cover of this self-titled um, album, not self-titled, the it's named up the single, the title yep. track. Are you going to be my way up? Yeah. yeah, he's just doing a Jesus Christ pose on the cover, wearing a Jimi Hendrix shirt, and so he's clear. He's, I think he said in an interview that he was trying to adopt this kind of character of <laughs> a yep. Jesus-like figure, which is why you know this song is sung from the first person, like he's saying, "Are you going to yep. go my way?" Like he's kind of inhabiting the character of some sort of messianic figure. Absolutely. Which is, it, it makes more sense to me now because when I was younger, I always just thought it was a weirdly phrased kind of, because it's not, it doesn't sound like a love song, but it, yeah, yeah, that makes more sense to know that it's not, it was never meant to be a love song. It's just a, yeah. It's from Jesus. Yeah. Look, I think personally, Tom, I think you're onto something. Much like that with... Martika song that we listened to the other way. I always thought this is a weird fucking love song. You're like, no, this isn't a love song. It's a weird hymn. Absolutely. That's why it's phrased That was so why it's completely bizarre. So yeah, look, I wouldn't be surprised if, yeah, he fronted some sort of uh, Cannibal Corpse style band or... Maybe he'd sell out Jesus and do sort of more of like a hinder, lips of an angel type situation. <laughs> oh, that's what he'd be doing. I think now. Jesus would be doing that, lips of an angel. I might be doing that, or he might be doing um, sort of a, a Christian metalcore type thing, um, well, as are they like... dying, where uh, the guy, you know, um, tried to have his wife murdered. But um, you know, he might. Do you reckon Jesus wouldn't do that. Jesus wouldn't try and no. murder his own wife. I don't think so. But I'm thinking that that might be the next. Uh, career step for Will Smith's son is a Christian rock 
Vocalist. Oh, look, I, I hope so. You I know, they've so. tried everything else. Hey, <laughs> for sure. Slightly what do you do when someone question. has no talent, but, um, <laughs> but they're the son of someone that's and famous? Fuck tons of money. Do you reckon that he really wanted to be Hendrix, do you think? Or is that just me being a bit racist because there aren't that many sort of African American, like guitarist front men? You know, guys like there's, yeah. a, you know, like Slash. Even Slash sort of stands out, and he's just a guitarist in a band full of white dudes. I mean, like to be this kind of like we're watching this video, like the band are in it, but they're well in the background. This is all about him. He's the he's the mate. This is a one man show, really. Oh, look, I think it's a fair assessment because, yeah, as you said, it it's not a band with a guy in it. it this is no, Lenny Kravitz doing his own thing. And he's, he's kind of, he's was sort of hippie coded a bit as well. Like yep. he, the way he dressed and like his yeah, style. Yeah, the flying V. I remember yeah, that. Uh, this Jimmy kind of Hendrix neo hippie v. sort of vibe. Yeah, I don't oh, know. Oh look, yeah, back in the 90s he was sort of channeling an image that I think looked back to maybe a sort of 70s-ish yeah. vibe. So look, I don't think it's too far of a stretch to say that. So. Macy Gray so, a little bit. She did that in the 90s too. She, she did. did a kind of yeah. What, what's she doing now? Yeah, God knows. <laughs> Duetting with Lenny Kravitz, maybe. Oh, I hope so. That's quite hope so. possible. Can't All right, enough. Out. Enough about um, the seven million on Spotify. Seven point three. That's a <laughs> lot. Forty nine cents, as I said, for the album. Thirty one cents for the single. So if you're mm. savvy, get the album. Any lyrical highlights, Tom? Um, I don't know why we always cry. This we must leave and get undone. We must engage and rearrange and turn this planet back to one. So tell me why we got to die and kill each other one by one. We've got to hug and rub a dub. <laughs> We've got to dance and be in love. Yeah, I think that was in Ephesians book two when Jesus told the Romans that they got to hug and rub a dub. That but, is know, in the Bible. There's it worked. Rub -a -dub you know, let's face it, we're still talking about Christianity, so you know clearly they both know what they're talking about. But yeah. Absolutely right. Look, look. I'm I think sure he's most probably best known recently to anyone under our age for his dick falling out a few uh, years ago on stage. Yeah. <laughs> apparently, I haven't seen the video, but apparently it was one of his more impressive performances. So you know, he's got <laughs> that going for him. Absolutely, and Jesus got his dick out all the time, so <laughs> oh, definitely it all falls into place, doesn't you know, it? So Jesus never had his dick in the pants. Quite as far a few cubits too. Absolutely, right. a deep cut joke for your Bible fans. <laughs> Absolutely. So next up, 19th, 15th of May for two weeks, Faith No More Easy. Now you see, this is the kind of thing, suddenly my faith in Australia, it's coming back a Absolutely. bit. Now, here's, here's something for you, Tom. I know you're a big Faith No More fan. Um, was this a joke or dead serious or somewhere in between? Sort <laughs> Look, of it's definitely a joke. Yeah. Um, Mike said that they all used to listen to this on classic AM shit rock radio when they were younger, like we did. Mm. And again, ironically... And they started playing it live early on in their career to replace the Black Sabbath song, War Pigs, ah. which I'm thinking maybe they didn't have grounds to cover or whatever. You can hear it on live at the Brixton Academy if you want, which is like, well, when um, fucking Mike Patton had only recently joined the band, you know, been only a bit yep. confused. But they started playing this live partly to annoy their audience. If I had to <laughs> guess how they would do that, knowing what Mike Patton's like, I'm guessing that they would probably say something like, hey, anybody want to hear a cover of a fucking really rad song? And then everyone would start going, more pigs, more pigs. And then they would start breaking into... Plus he sings yep. in a kind of wry drawl. The solo impressively manages to sound sarcastic. 
Yeah. So, I mean, it's <laughs> not that easy to do. Yeah. The cover of the single is two rhinoceroses boning. Yeah. Uh, the video features them, the band hanging around with a bunch of bored looking drag queens, which I'm pretty sure was more about making a joke than trans representation. Yeah, course, Although, yeah. to be fair, they're not like mocking them or anything. No, they're all just no. sitting around in a hotel room smoking cigarettes and playing cards or whatever. But yeah. Some cunt's going to try and cancel them. Oh, they, so. yeah. No, I think, yeah. No, you couldn't do it off the strength of that. But um, nah, of course Billy Gould said, quote, it feels really good to just have a couple of thousand people flipping you off just to see the number of middle fingers go up when we went into easy was amazing. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm guessing. But again, that does not explain how it got to be number one no, for two weeks. No, 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 <laughs> absolutely. And that's what I think is really impressive because, yeah, as you mentioned, Tom, I think, yeah, people would go and see them live and they'd expect a sort of a Black Sabbath hard rock heavier yeah. song and then they'd do that if so they were early fans just, yeah just to frustrate sort of the fans I guess but yeah you're right sort of um, people obviously in Australia went out and purchased this in such a volume um, to get it to number one which is amazing you know what it is really good. you know what it friggin is it's your thing again this is the cover being better than of the course original it is. the yeah, original definitely. is the Commodores written yep. by Lionel Richie yep. uh, which is a it's an old sort of cheesy AM. It's even a bit too old for me. Yeah, like yeah, I, yeah. I never, I only got to know this from this I, cover. I, yeah, I first heard this song and then I heard the Commodores version. Yeah, yeah like after this exactly. But yeah, I, I think yeah. I mean, people might sort of say Ben, you're obviously being, you know, a bit of a prankster when you say that. But no, listen, it's serious. The band writes a song. They release it, then someone else listens to it. They get to improve on that. They get to sort of take the bones, choose the good bits, change the other bits. Take Cover's always better, always better. Um, absolutely. So this was only a number one in Australia, um, interestingly. Yes. And I don't. Even, I think that we if you look at the yeah, before, if you look at yeah. the original release, um, I think on Angel Dust. I don't actually think this was even on yeah, there originally. That's this was right. sort of like a standalone single. And then it got so popular that it ended up being on a yeah, re-release. Yeah, on re-pressings. So. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. With, so that's very yeah. impressive that it wasn't even on the album. It was just something that's yeah, brought no, out. Yeah, no. It's just so. one, like sometimes they do that when, an out, when a song comes into a... They do, a, a band does a song for a film that comes out at the same time as an album they've got out or there's a B-side off one of yep. the singles that becomes a big hit so then when they re-release the album they just go well we'll stick that on there as well because we might as well everyone loves it yeah you know, so, so this is the and this is also the uh, the sec the third well if you count Whitney Houston this is like the third cover of an old song so far yeah, this year like into. you say Absolutely. I mean it's weird you'd think well it's weird that this is number one but I mean putting aside the fact that they were always sort of a bit outside the box yep. like Cats in the Cradle being number one for two months is pretty odd yep. as well you know except that yeah it's a cover of a decent song that people actually seem to like at the time. Not a weirdly sarcastic piss take of a song that originally got to 75 <laughs> on the Australian charts. Really? Yeah, wow, no, okay. that's what I mean. Like, the wow. original Easy wasn't, even, wasn't a, even, like, A-tier shit yeah, rock, yeah, yeah. you know. So a lot of people might It's perfectly fine listening yeah. to it now. It's just smooth as poo. It's just yacht, sort of yacht, yacht groove rock, yeah. kind of, yeah. Um, look, given that this was written by Lionel Richie, do you think there's something sinister about this song? Is it like, a, is, is he taking advantage of blind girls or something? Oh, when he yes. says, easy like Sunday morning. Did we have to cancel of, him or not? Oh, I, look, he's already, I, I think, <laughs> I think well, he got, we cancelled well, we him because video. he did the fake African language. Oh, yes. No. And also trying to hit on blind chicks. That's in right. That thing. So, yeah. look, I, 
I don't know. I assume easy is street legal, but there may be something sinister about it. There may be something sort of untoward about mm. this song. I don't really know about. But look, I think it's fine. We'll give that. A, we'll give him a pass on this because I've not analysed the lyrics with enough detail <laughs> to sort of go. We should get cancel him for a third time. But I think um, look, he's probably already effectively cancelled in my mind. But, you know, sure. I think for the general. Oh, the African lyrics thing, definitely. Oh yeah, for sure, absolutely. Kicked um, out of your ass. Uh, speaking of Faith No More, is Roddy Bottom the best name in music? Is that one of the fine? Is that fantastic? What's your name? Pretty great. Roddy Bottom. It's I'm particularly good that, that Bottom is misspelt as well. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's B O T T U N. Yeah, exactly. Which yeah, gives it an extra layer of childishness. I think it's fantastic. I always like. Pretty good. Um, lyrical highlights or. Uh... Um, not much, really. Uh, they. It's just stuff like, um, no, it sounds funny, but I just can't stand the pain. Girl, Girl I'm, I'm leaving, leaving you tomorrow. Yeah. That's what makes it unusual for me. In it, it's the only unusual, the only unusual part about it is that it's a song about feeling chill and fine about a breakup, which is a slightly unusual thing about yeah. a, for a pop song, especially a cheesy old seventies one. But yeah, I mean, in this cover, they couldn't even be fucked doing all the verses, which is totally fine. Like, if you were covering Brian Adams, you could probably cut down a few verses of Summer of 69 as well without anyone <laughs> no complaining doubt. to it. My favourite bit, personally, which doesn't even qualify as a lyric, really, is just before the solo, in this sort <laughs> yeah. of that breakdown, and the Commodore's version, original, Lionel does a nice high sort of, ew, and instead Mike sort of goes, ew. <laughs> it's in the, written, in the lyrics, it's written as U-G-H, full stop. It's <laughs> just... <laughs> Which kind of seems like the perfect summary of their feeling toward the song in general, but um, yeah. Hey, accidental number one. What's better than that? Oh, accidental non-album number one. It's <laughs> fantastic, yeah, for sure. Um, and I think that's sort of it's interesting that um, Faith No More's original number one that we spoke about a few weeks ago was a completely left of centre. Yes. Like, how yeah. could you, you, that, their, that was their, their only own American song, yeah. number one. Yeah, yeah. But we, in Australia, we were like, no, we want another bite of the cherry, especially if the cherry looks like. This bizarre cover Absolutely. of a shitty old Lionel Richie song. Absolutely. And the funny thing is, I guess, as well, um, people that go and see Faith No More, they're not necessarily there to, to hear either of those songs. You know, No. They're, they're not going, I need to hear Easy, I need to hear Epic. You know, there's, they're, they're no. just there to see all the other songs. Their sound has evolved. They do For sure, they, they do very different things. So, yeah. So, look, power to them. 3.4 mil on Spotify. Yep, good on them. Um, yeah, it's... Yeah, probably... Oh... I guess they they are back now, but they had a long break between sort yeah. of late nineties and sort of a I while ago, and they haven't released anything new for a little bit of I time. I think but they actually broke up, but no. they've had a few long hiatuses. hiatuses yep. Yeah, um, and sixteen cents, um, yeah, it's pretty cheap. Buy that for sixteen cents. Why not go out and do mm. that? But uh, you can also just probably get the album for two bucks or something. I really know. So I haven't, haven't. I only did the album oh, work with, with, Angel with Dust Lenny. Is so and, yeah, Angel Dust is very good. So absolutely. In fact, you can't. I think yeah. Um, you can't go wrong with any of the Mike Patton era, Faith No More stuff. I don't think no, so. It's got a cheese yeah. lobber on it. It <laughs> out. I mean, it actually does. <laughs> it does. I know. I know for sure. Um, and I'm a big fan of Mike Patton's uh, some of his other musical ventures as well. Oh so. yeah, he's got all these other he's side in, like, projects 50, too. Yeah. Things, so yeah, for sure. So good on those guys for that for getting a novelty jokeish. We don't give a fuck. Number one, as you mm. said, Tom. They are the best ones. Um, up next, 29th of May for one week. Janet Jackson 
that's the way love goes. Mm, tree was huge in this period. Yeah, I was going to I was actually going to say Tom, can you believe that Rhythm Nation 1814 came out 207 years ago? But I think I I, I think I already said that 2 weeks ago in another joke. <laughs> hey, it's still good. So look, so it's um yeah, for sure. It makes me feel so old watching the Black Cat video back in 18 fucking 14. So um Look, Tom, I want to. I just want to address this straight off the bat. I don't want to sort of go into this song without discussing this. What do you think the chances are that either one, Janet Jackson was never a real person and just an older ego of Michael, um, and mm. that Michael faked his own death <laughs> and is now just Janet Jackson, mm-hmm. or two, Michael Jackson killed Janet has now assumed her identity? Because I think the chances are very high to almost certain. Yes, I think, well, you see, the problem is that they did once appear in that same video clip. That's Studio Trickery. Studio Trickery. I was going to say, I was going to say, I'd find it more believable that he had assumed the persona of Latoya. Okay. Because she seems like, you know, more of a left field choice. True. out, Out of the spotlight. And she also does kind of look a bit like... Hannibal Lecter style. She's wearing someone else's face <laughs> she stretched over the top of her yep. own face. That's true. So, it, yeah. Might be more of that. Yeah, look, I think you're probably right, Tom. I maybe I'm jumping a bit too far to say that Janet Jackson was never real <laughs> and Michael Jackson was just hmm. an old... I think... But in terms of Michael sort of killing Janet and taking over her identity, um, look, MJ, he purportedly died in 2009. And since that time, Janet's only released one other album from 2009 to present. So that's mm. a long stretch. And I, you know, Michael could easily whip that up with a bit of studio trickery. True. So, I mean, if she... He she had access really to the highest quality effects, as we've already discussed. <laughs> he we did. Remember the time. Remember and the time. The sand spinning the around. Where he so turns into a panther. If he could do that. So, yeah. And also, Janet, she used to do some acting as well, Tom. Mm-hmm. Um, and I haven't seen her in anything much since 2009. And look, remember, <laughs> she was an actress of the highest caliber. She was in um, The Nutty Professor 2, The Clumps. <laughs> so, you know, she had a lot of talent, a lot to offer us in, in that. So, look... I don't want to sort of start some sort of weird conspiracy theory, but Mm. I think there (laughs) is a chance, no matter how small, that Michael Jackson is alive and living as Janet Jackson. Yes. And either Janet is dead or never existed. (laughs) I don't know. Hey, look, I guarantee on the internet somewhere right now, there's a discussion group where people are... You know, nailing down the details of that. <laughs> Absolutely. They've got it. They're three quarters of the way there. They just need to fill in the missing pieces. A For guy sure. called M on the internet who's claiming <laughs> to be a long lost friend of Michael Jackson is filling them in with details, drip feeding them in. Drip feeding some, some absolutely. So well, there's like a, there's a conspiracy theory group about that. Seriously, exactly. I, it sounds ridiculous in hindsight, but I honest, I think that genuinely that Super Bowl nipple thing in 2004 really hurt Jenna Jackson's career. Or at yeah. least to the extent where it might have been enough to make her think, because at that time she was, I think she was forty at that time, yeah. And at that that might have been just the the thing that made her go, look, 
this is clearly a young person's game. Dance around the Super Bowl with one, one of your boobs out. This is yeah. for your Britneys and your, your, your oh, Christinas. Sure. You know, maybe I should, you know, retire into Nutty Professors 3, the clumps back in action. <laughs> Absolutely. Or whatever. But yeah, I mean, that was such a bunch of bullshit. I really lost all the huge amount of respect I had for Justin Timberlake after that. I had to get laser tattoo removal for his half of my Britney Hearts Justin Forever neck piece got that I got <laughs> to match yeah, my, my Sonia Dada back piece. <laughs> Obviously, that you, I copy <laughs> well, off yeah, you exactly. unwisely, but um, yeah, no, you, that was that was fucking stupid. Look, it it just goes to show. Um, look, no disrespect. What a fucking stupid country America is. Um, <laughs> anyone listening to this in the US, look, you know, I'm not giving you a hard time, but no one is listening to this in the US probably. But um, it, it's such a weird culture where everything seems to be sexualized, but at the same time, mm. an accidental. Well, purportedly Pru- accidental, but prudish at the same Prurient time. Prurient is the word, yeah. I think. Simultaneously yeah. prudish, yet obsessed with other sexual stuff. Because it's one of those things where it's just like, if people are legitimately watching that and saying, oh, I, uh, Janet, you're done mm. with me. It's like, it, it, I don't... It's <laughs> certain, I don't think, on her part, it didn't appear to be deliberate. I can't assume on anyone's part it was I deliberate. think it was 100% deliberate. By JT? Or I th- by no, her, no, I think everyone. totally the whole thing Ooh, was okay. set up. She was wearing like a decorative mm. nipple ring. Okay. It was like a tearaway boob. It had uh-huh. like... Sn- it had like snap buttons okay. on it. It was... You were obviously meant... Well, exactly what was happened... Meant to come out. Was meant to happen was... Exactly that. He, he ripped this... Th- he ripped part of her bustier or whatever yeah. off. So... And it, people measured it. It was literally half a second, mm. and then the the smoke cannon poof, think, goes off in front of them. And so they it, misread the crowd. They and thought the crowd. The would last be fine lyric then. of the song is going to have you naked by the end of this song. Ooh, it goes, then okay. you just see the idea was you just see a flash of boob with the, with a kind of big nipple ring kind of sort of slash pasty thing, and people will be going like, oh, "Did I see what I thought I saw?" But then mm. bang, it's all gone in a big puff of smoke, and everyone will love it. And instead, that half a second of two-thirds of a boob was enough to get people to complain. And weirdly enough, it was the black woman of the part of this two-person thing who ended up taking all of the blame for this somehow. And Justin Timberlake seemed to get away. The handsome young white guy got away with going, oh, it was a malfunction. So that took place in 2004, and I think he apologised this year. Is that right? Mm, He issued some mm, sort of earlier this year. This would be the same year where uh, two black women did a song called Wet Ass Pussy at the Super Bowl, (laughs) which involved just strippers. Just yeah, exactly. going hog wild, scissoring each other on stage and for so sure. forth. So yeah, yeah but, but they looking, couldn't. I had to wait sixteen years for that. So yeah, it does seem weird that um yeah you you I completely agree. Janet's career did seem to take a nosedive after this, and it seems completely bizarre. Like I sort of feel like, you know, in Australia, if that happened, people would just be like, "Oh, sick! I got to see someone's tit," and then they'd just yeah. move on with it. They wouldn't. It wouldn't be the end of a career. Or by halfway through the grand final, they'd be so pissed they'd be going, would, "What was that?" Yeah. Did, one guy would be going, I saw a tit, and everyone would go, fuck off, you did not see a tit, yeah, exactly. you lying piece of shit. Exactly right, exactly. <laughs> or they couldn't see it because Meatloaf came past in a hovercraft at the yeah. wrong moment and ruined the choreography of the whole thing. And it does beg the question, I mean, 
one tit out, people don't want to know anymore. If both tits have come out, <laughs> would she have been assassinated? Do you think? Do you think that's enough for people to sort of well, Bobby Brown style high powered rifle sexy sniper take her? Her out? career certainly would have been assassinated, as we yeah. demonstrated with Vanessa Williams for sure. last year, who yeah. just some twat from ten years ago digs up naked pictures of you that he took without your permission or quasi without your permission. He sells them to Penthouse, and that's the end of your, you know, the end of your. Um, Miss Universe career anyway but yeah exactly. fortunately they both got to do other stuff after for sure so, yeah, yeah. But, um, but it was pretty much the end of her pop career that was yeah interestingly in 1991 Janet uh, Jackson she fulfilled her career with uh, A&M uh, music mm-hmm. and she signed a contract with Virgin Records estimated to be between 32 and 50 million dollars wow now that's insane that is <sighs> for absolutely one particularly yeah, that made her the highest paid recording artist at the time that's fucking nuts um you think uh Virgin Records have recouped that 50 million dollars <laughs> by now because <laughs> well, she's done have. fucking nothing since then I don't know oh uh, in she did stuff in the nineties. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, I know what you mean. That's like, a lot of money. If it had been two thousand and one, I would have said, "Fuck no." If someone said, it. "If someone was like Prince, fifty million, you'd be like, yeah, that's probably a sweet deal." <laughs> Rolling, you know, like a big artist. But Janet Jackson, I'm sort of like, I can't really recall her doing yeah. that much post Black Cat and this song. <laughs> I don't really know, but I remember. I remember Robbie Williams, I think it would have been about 2001, 2002, he signed a, a record deal at the time for, I think it was a four album deal with Sony, yep. I think it was like 50, 60 million pounds it was at insane. the time, which is not that, you know, that's probably only equivalent to this if you exchange, if you crank up the money, but like that's at true. the time, for a solo male artist, it was a lot of money, yep. and, and even then I was thinking, I, because this was sort of at the peak of his career but I remember thinking I don't think these people who are who are the executives behind these deals I don't think they're living in quite the same no, no. world as we are because I do not think in four albums time <laughs> that people are still going to be spending that much money Bro. on Robbie Williams like <laughs> Napster's come out it's, it's getting increasingly digital people's attention spans are shrinking down people do not you stick with an artist for four albums unless it's yep. someone they're deeply in love with, you know. Not All he has to of... do is sell 10 mil per album for the next <laughs> yes. eight albums and we're going to make right. some big money. Headline it's like, yeah. 50,000 seat theatres for the next 10 years every time he tours and it'll all be fine. We'll Look, get we're going to get to talk about Robbie Williams <laughs> in a future episode, Tom, and um, I'm excited by that because, uh, yep. That was, very exciting. I have to say, yeah, oh, I'll save that for when he comes up. Anyway, <laughs> let's sure. go on. But um, no, that's fucking impressive. Some absolutely. 40 million bucks in 91. Yeah, heaps Jesus, of money. Way, way, way too much money for what she ended up releasing after this, I think. But yeah. But, um, but Rhythm Nation was massive. Like, absolutely. That was, yeah, that was for sure. huge. Um, look, the video clip of this features her. She's sitting in like her apartment. I assume it's her apartment. All her friends are there. Yeah. They say to her, hey, Janet play your new single. She's like, no, I don't want to do it. Everyone's like, oh, go on, play. She's like, no way, guys, I don't want to do it. Then someone steals a cassette out of it just to show old schoolers, rips the cassette out of her hand, puts it in the CD, in the cassette player, sorry. And then they're like, I'm going to play it. And they're like, oh, okay, okay. And then she finally does it basically because they take the cassette 
Um, J-Lo is in the video clip I doing like it. a hella yeah. over the top fake <laughs> Latino accent going no way you gonna do that boo and it's like <laughs> offensive for her to sort of do that because it's just like I don't think J-Lo really speaks like that but it's like you're the was... Latino person in this video clip so you gotta do a real over the top Latino accent Did, were they her backup dancers like the people uh, in maybe. the video they might have been because yeah, I, I would know. definitely call their acting skills on display varied varied <laughs> <laughs> credit to um, credit to Janet because she's one of the more convincing people in the video. Like, yeah, she just know. says a lot of what side boo. She's like side a boo, side a boo. It's like just fucking whack as old shit. Anyway, so oh, I'm not around. saying it's good. I'm just no. saying she can like if you were looking at that video, going who of these people could I use in Nutty Professor Two the Clumps? Probably <laughs> go true. yeah. She's and she's, she's also. Yep. I mean, I don't want to don't want to do my standard pervy thing but she's also at this point ridiculously radiantly attractive like she's just crazy you know like she looks like what Michael Jackson wanted to look like you know oh exactly but, well I think Mike would spend his whole life trying to get to that look by various yeah. plastic surgery things never quite got there mm. but maybe he did get there so much that he yeah. is now just Janet it's Jackson. A real story of Icarus. It is. It's, don't, yeah, exactly right. <laughs> like Icarus, he melted. He did. He flew too close to the sun, Tom, <laughs> and now he's underground. Or he's working at a doctor's surgery somewhere as a dentist. Or, or, or I think in a previous episode, I assumed he faked his own death. He'd be working as like a dental assistant somewhere in like Iowa because mm. he could wear like that fake surgical mask. Well, that's the whole time. where. Bloody Elvis Jackson. was always popping up behind the counter in diners oh, for some yeah, reason. Yeah. You know, always behind the grill, flipping burgers was in he? the diner. Yeah, that that's was good. where people always seemed to see him. I'm not sure if that says more about Elvis or his audience, but yep. yeah, either Absolutely. way. Absolutely. Um, I had Hungry Jacks for lunch today. Who am I? Elvis, was Elvis there? <laughs> it no, been. no, he wasn't. They took a fucking long time with my order, though, so, you know, perhaps they were distracted by a vision of the king. Yeah, it could well be. (laughs) Definitely, definitely. Um, What's she doing these days? Whopper? Uh, Got my standard, which is bacon deluxe. Yep. And a little a little friend that I've come to love in the last few years, the chicken tender crisp. Ah, oh, nice bacon chicken tender crisp. And they, I must say, they took a little bit longer than usual, but they were of the higher standard. I think maybe because they actually cooked them, That's <laughs> as good. opposed to just fishing them out of the Spain Marie or That's wherever good. they keep them. Good to see. Good to see. The quality is still high in some parts of the world. Um, Janet, five point seven mil. Wow, I'd on Spotify, that. it's a yep. lot. Forty six cents to pick this up. Good. Lyrical highlights. Uh, I forgot how horny this song is. It yeah. is very horny. All the verses are just about boning, just yep. straight up. In the chorus, she keeps saying, um, like a moth to a flame burned by the fire, my love is blind, can't you see my desire? Mm. Well, she seems to be saying that she's so horny that she's going to catch on fire and die, yep. which is some meatloaf slash Bonnie Tyler level 80s gunpowder keg horniness and it's good to see it coming back because I just oh, thought I thought yeah. it was almost gone nah. but yeah none of this boys to men you know I want to rub you back in a bath for six hours horniness I want to hear I'm going to literally explode again absolutely <laughs> but, uh, yeah and also I don't think she wrote this or she co-wrote it probably co-wrote yeah, yeah exactly I it's think... not it's not purely her anyway so I can't put the full thing on her but it's 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 not terrible I've heard worse speaking of hearing worse what's next uh, Tom it's snow in former I'm hearing worse probably did look um, just before we get into <laughs> Informer, the song itself um, 
If you ever wanted to see a man rapping on the top of a decommissioned military aircraft Go wearing on. a pleather vest Keep going. with no shirt underneath, then stop this now. Go to YouTube and check out the Snow Runway video because it's just that. It's a pleather vest, nothing underneath. It looks like it's about zero degrees outside. He's on the top of a fucking aircraft just rapping. It's just insane. So go watch that now. It's fantastic. Um, and he's got, a, he's got a bit of a history of sort of whack as hell video clips because um, the, the follow-up single after Informer um, Girl I've Been Hurt you familiar with that one Tom um, Coles Radio plays that a lot so I'm hearing it every day because I'm real on the Coles Radio mm, I um, checked out the video yeah it features chicks hanging out in the snow metaphor alert <laughs> wait for it what does that mean wearing bikinis and fur coats white yeah, exactly. yeah and snow's getting around in what appears to be a pair of washing up gloves yeah it's I mean, it's kind of a metaphor for the whole rap industry, really. Yep. Certainly at the time, he's wearing about 17 layers, including some really embarrassing thick white leather man gloves. Yep. And the women are literally freezing their tits off, standing around in bikinis, literally in the snow. Like yep. they're ankle deep in the snow. For sure. In the wilderness, in bikinis. You know, they're fur bikinis, Ben, but still, there's a coverage issue. For sure, know. for sure. Mm. Um, but I, th- I feel like that... Um, is that a metaphor or a snow? Is, is that sort of like, I'm knee... <laughs> the chicks are knee-deep in me? Is yeah, that how it works? Or I is mean, it sort it's of more like asking a... you if the question is like, is the metaphor that the snow makes him look even whiter yep. somehow, you know? Or oh. is it the washing up gloves, you know? <laughs> Who can Perhaps be Perhaps sure? they're the metaphor, you know? Oh, look, I, if people that are listening to this don't know who Snow is, he's a Canadian rapper. Um, but how did he come by the name Snow? Well, t- Tom, apparently Snow stands for Superb Notorious Outrageous White Boy. Um, yeah. There's no possible way, is there, in this world or the next, that he might have possibly reverse engineered that acronym <laughs> by any chance. I suggest he 100% reverse engineered that and that there, he just called himself Snow because he was a white guy, probably. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, later on just went, that better stand for something. <laughs> uh, n- superb, notorious, uh, outrageous. What? Yeah, fucking what? His actual name's Darren O'Brien, which is not the sort of um, <laughs> the fucking most hardcore. He looks like a Darren O'Brien. So, yep. Yeah. And um, I guess this song is probably, you know, Informer. Licky boom boom down. Um, apparently, licky boom boom down means I'll knock the informer out. Now, I don't know in what fucking language that means that, but purportedly that's what it means. Um, I tried to do as much research as I could about this um, to sort of figure out what the fuck he was saying because back in 1993, <laughs> no one had any idea. No. That was the whole thing. It was This was went to number one for five weeks, but it seemed like universally everyone said, what the fuck no. is he talking about? I can't understand a word he's saying. It's, it's perverse that a song can... Since we pre- like we previously discussed that a song can be can be popular on the purely on the basis of catchiness whilst not actually having any good qualities of any traditional no, no. musical thing, but almost always the catchiness applies implies at least a re- memorable chorus yep. that you can sing along. Whereas this song, as you say, Informer. the chorus features exactly bit of one word that everyone... Oh, and three made-up ones. Yeah, yes. exactly. So you've got Informer, Unintelligible, just, just Licky just Boom Boom <laughs> Yeah, like no one, no one can sing this song. Um, but uh, sort of 
What I do like about it is, Tom, can you think of any other song <laughs> in any genre of music ever that features the lyrics, um, pulled down my pants and looked up my bottom? No, no, I can't. Ben. No, exactly. Not even so, the ones by Sodom, and this is in their wheelhouse. <laughs> that's but... it, right in their wheelhouse. So I think Snow is an innovator. He's done that. He's sort of said, oh, how about a song where someone pulls down my pants and looks up my asshole? Let's get that in there. Everyone went, yeah, that's why not. Sounds no, no, good to no, me. wait, Snow. Asshole sounds too tough. Could okay, you say bottom? Look up my bottom, so that's for sure. So he's done that. Pretty good. Gets the point across. Now, what I find um, very interesting is that Snow. He actually, you know how Vanilla Ice, when you talk about Ice Ice Baby, he's talking about pulling out the gat and blasting yep, people. Blasting that never shot. happened. That Probably clearly not, never happened. No. But Snow, <laughs> as unlikely as it is, legitimately spent a year in jail for attempted murder. Darren, wow. Yes. So, <laughs> so while all these other sort of poser rappers are like talking about like pulling out the gat and blasting dudes and they're just, you know, working in an office or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Snow was legit in prison um, wow. for attempted murder. He was ultimately found not guilty and released. But interestingly, the song was released by the record company while Snow was in jail. So he's in prison. They released the single. I don't know. That was poor timing. I don't know what the fuck they did that. Well, maybe it was good timing. Probably good timing. Legitimized him. Yeah, exactly. And it went to number one. While so apparently he talks about the first time he saw the video clip. Yeah of the song he was in prison and everyone's like oh fuck it's you and he's like yeah I'm a rapper now so (laughs) he came out of jail um, and he went in basically he went in as a nobody just sort Mm -hmm. of an attempted murderer I guess came out and and he was a celebrity suddenly he's a superb notorious outrageous (laughs) white boy (laughs) exactly so I do like that Um, is he the best Canadian musician of all time Uh, well tie tie with Brian Adams or yeah I'd say they're about the (laughs) About on a tie. Yeah. So. Where does the last mindset fall into this sort of thing? So if you put a pile of snow on one end of the scales and a pile of waking up the neighbours on the other end, I'd say it would balance out fairly well Absolutely. in my mind. But hey, you know, I might be prejudiced. Oh look, he's I've got pre- nothing against our neighbours up north. I'll tell you what, he's better than Drake. He's the best Canadian rapper <laughs> that's out. There. Oh well, that if goes people, without saying. So, yes. so who's the best Canadian rapper? And someone says Drake, you're a fucking idiot because yeah. it's definitely snow. So for sure. And look, I respect that the fact that his album was called 12 inches of snow (laughs) this is a triple entendre i respect Mm. anyone that can do a very good double entendre but (laughs) snow has said fucking hell i'm gonna step this up a notch this is a triple entendre well done snow 12 inches of snow on the ground yep 12 inches of snow that's what you think about Mm -hmm. this came out on vinyl 12, it's a 12 inch record yep. 12 inches of snow and snow has a 12 inch dick according mm. to his own mm. press release <laughs> triple on Chandra <laughs> fucking bang on snow well done congratulations <laughs> no one else has pulled that off for an album title you know anyone else has got an album title as a triple on Chandra you don't because they don't mm. exist go snow Luckily, when they released it on single, it was only seven inches of snow. Yeah, tr- yeah that's yeah, true. They tried to blame the cold weather in Canada. But, you know, <laughs> exactly. It's like, look, it's still pretty big. And they're like, yeah, there's... It depends on the things. angle you got to look true. at it. A lot of smoke and mirrors and snow, it's still... It's I also still always time. assumed, even as a fucking 15-year-old, that it was partly a drug reference as well. So I guess you could call Probably. it a three and a half entendre oh, with true. a side twist. You know? Still, like you say, that's... Yep. 
that's two and a half entendres more than you get out of most musicians. Yeah, look, weirdly, I was, I was, um, when I was sort of listening, I've actually listened to this recently, and I, I decided to check out the whole album to see whether there was any other hits on there. Obviously, there is "Girl Up in Hurt," um, <laughs> which we know about that, fantastic, and the "Runway" where he's on the top of the helicopter. Um, but "Girl Up in Hurt" makes this sound very Girl good. By the way, need another lover. I reckon. I think that song's better than this. Oh, okay, okay. So no, I don't know. No, no, I'm talking about. But there's another song in this album called "Lonely." Monday morning and the, the the lyrics and the verses are exactly the same as Informer it's just the same song it's just really? slowed down with like a reggae beat and it's just going <laughs> in like does all the verse bits <laughs> so it's the same so he's got the mm. same lyrics on the album in two different songs mm. um, which just mm. shows a little bit of laziness on <laughs> Snow's part just going oh we need some lyrics for this song he's like I've got some. It's like, nah, mate, you use those on Informers. Ah, <laughs> oh, don't worry about it. No one will remember. Nah. Two songs Guaranteed. later. They won't remember they heard these same <laughs> lyrics two songs later. So he did that. Um, power to him for just doing that because I'm sure, you know, he just sold a billion copies and everyone loved it. Do so. you think these days people would accuse him of cultural appropriation? <gasps> Maybe. They probably Do we would. have to cancel Snow? Oh, we don't have to cancel Snow because I don't believe in cultural appropriation, Tom, as you know. I just sort of... Um, I. This is all, it's definitely a, it's a white guy ripping off um, Jamaican music yes. and hip hop. So he's, has he appropriated a lot of cultures? He has. But at the same time, I think that, the, sorry, when I say I don't believe in the cultural appropriation, what I mean is that um, I think we live in a multicultural society, particularly in Australia, a lot of places in the world. And I think if a white dude wants to open a barn me restaurant, that's okay. <laughs> I don't know. Like, is that fine? Hey, look, I've got no problem with it, but for I'm sure, not the person you know, who's going to yeah, exactly. So. so I don't, you know, I sort of think, you know, maybe you've been to Thailand twenty five times and you really like it, and you just want to say, I want to bring that back home, and that's that's okay. Well, we could test this argument. I heard a guy once say that a an African American musician, I can't remember who it was. It wasn't anyone huge, but yeah. he was a hip hop guy. Someone probably too cool for me to know yep. the oeuvre of. But he said he reckoned things qualified as cultural appropriation if they involved the person mocking the thing that they were appropriating. Okay. Like blackface, where you're taking oh, a piece yeah, that's, of it. That's terrible. The person profiting from a thing that they're ripping off mm-hmm. and a person not crediting the thi- not 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 even have yeah, to credit, but yeah. not acknowledging the influence of something, like say, "Hey, I invented this," or you know, that's not the same thing. <laughs> like true, you know, like profiting is uh, a hard one because I think yes, anyone that goes you... into any form of business, say, yes. I want to open a a restaurant, or I want to do this sort of music, and that that basically means that nobody can really. I guess sort of when you look from a musical point of view, if you say, well, hip hop is a, is very much something that originated from black culture, then you're basically yeah. saying any white rapper is appropriating that culture he didn't, for profit. He didn't say though, he wasn't saying that the person has to be like, it has to be um, any of those things. Yeah, yeah. He just meant, I think he meant if it was one of those things, then it would become suspect. Yeah. You know, meaning that, you know, if you're profiting off hip hop, that doesn't necessarily make it cultural appropriation. Yeah. If you're not mocking the person and you're willing, like Eminem, like he wasn't pretending that he wasn't influenced no, by true. 30 years of hip hop and stuff. But yeah, I so I have no idea whether that qualifies for this, but I will say that uh, he's not just ripping off an entire music style and the type of lyrics that they would sing, but he is also 
if you haven't heard this, constantly just moving in and out of a weird fake Jamaican accent, <laughs> which seems, if not cancelable, at least fucking dumb and questionable, because oh, yeah. he just sounds ridiculous. Any white person who's ever earnestly used the term pon, the word yeah. pon, to any point, oh, yeah. <laughs> there's a great um, Lonely Island song which is sung entirely by the guy Andy Sandberg doing the whitest possible voice he can using a bunch of Jamaican patois stuff, and it does sound a bit like this. I, I thought we were done with this after Giovanotti released Rastified Remix of Gimme 5 in the 80s, but apparently yeah. it's still kicking on. No. So, yeah. You're and right. He does, he does a weird... Yeah, there is a lot of weird Jamaican accent. There's also a weird heap of... Is it snow-invented language or snow original type because you know there's all that yeah that's i think that's just an extremely white canadian trying to do sort of you know like reggae like dance hall reggae like the the fast sort of patois stuff it just sounds fucking crazy does sound yeah it sounds and as you say it's also unintelligible (laughs) on top of that oh absolutely (laughs) absolutely um so yeah look Apparently his producer, the guy that, uh, Martin Prince, he's the guy that, um, I think produced the music for this and did all of that stuff. He, um, he came out recently and said that Snow never paid him to do this. So Snow got all the money from this. The guy that actually did the musical component, but didn't get the money. (laughs) And he also said that Snow just ripped off all the lyrics from this song from other original (laughs) Jamaican stuff. So Snow, look. Here at the podcast, we've reached out to Snow. He hasn't res- res- responded to our calls for comment. But yeah, apparently, um, yeah, this producer guy, Martin Prince, is, is effectively said all of this was stolen. So in that case, it probably is cultural appropriation <laughs> if everything's been stolen. Yes. It's at least copyright infringement. So I don't really know. But Yeah, I think that probably qualifies. Yeah, look, if I want to wear a kimono, I don't think that's com- cultural appropriation. <laughs> but yeah, maybe if I'm going to rip off everything for a song, maybe that is. So I don't <laughs> yes. know. Look, I'll let, I'll let Twitter be the kimono judge. kimono and claim you sewed the kimono that's and true. invented kimonos, then yeah, I'd say it. Exactly. Be. Look, in 2019, Daddy Yankee, I don't know who the fuck that is, but um, he teamed up with Cat. Perry, I know who that is, and they reimagined. I use the reimagined in finger quotes in former um, in a song called Com Karma, where the chorus goes, "I like your poom room girl." In former, I like your poom room. Girl. What the fuck does that mean? Oh, God. Um, Snow also shows up for a verse himself. He gets in on this action, but yeah, ben, so, by your theory, would this then be a better version? Oh, of the it original? is. Yeah, sorry, I, I, you're right, Tom. I, I'm assuming you've already got the vinyl. Oh there. yeah, the covers are. Yeah, I, you know, I have to stand by that, Tom. And you know, but I guess that there's exceptions to the rule. Maybe that this is the except. <laughs> the exceptions do make the rule. I guess this might be one of the exceptions. I don't know what "poom room girl" means, but um, yeah, good one, Daddy Yankee. Um, seven hundred thousand people on Spotify. God damn it! That's eighteen way cents. Too many. I think eighteen cents is probably about how much it deserves. Are, yeah. are there lyrical highlights? It's oh, probably there should be a lot. You cannot. The whole be. song's a lyrical highlight, I guess. I was too lazy and too uncaring about this dog. Pull down my pants. Look up my pants. Yes, you cannot be someone saying a white Canadian saying pull down my pants. Look up me bottom. 
in a shitty fake Jamaican <laughs> accent. Like, you'll never get any... Especially when that's one of the only intelligible words in the whole song. Exactly. The only bits anyone can hear. So everybody trying to sing along drunkenly with that at a teenage party sings that one yeah. bit about the police looking up your ass. Oh, For M- snow, MC maybe. MC Sean does show up later in the song. Sitting around cool, my dibby dibby girl. Police. I can't remember what the rest of it is. But he makes fucking as much sense as snow. Does, so. Yeah, but at least he's black. But Shan won't think. turn in form. Was he black? I, can't I even think he remember. was. I think MC Shan was. So yeah, he comes in, does some action. So <laughs> um, the whole thing's um, yeah, it's very good. It's um, very early nineties. So I'll say that it's about as sure. early nineties as you can get. Um, and look, Tom Snow had a. Here's something that you know. There's that people don't really know this. Snow had a very big influence on um, early '90s Eurobeats, and uh, <laughs> we'll talk about that in future episodes. But I think you'll find out that um, his fake Jamaican bullshit um, <laughs> really infiltrated a lot of different circles, uh, which I is fantastic. Know what so, you're <laughs> um, so good times. Anything else to say about this? No, no, no. Not. Okay, so moving on next. Um, so five weeks for Snow. Uh, 10th of July for seven weeks, which is, this is insane. Mm-hmm. Uh, UB40, I Can't Help Falling In Love With You. Yeah. Now, fuck this band sucks. <laughs> they were very popular they for were. a long time. I think this is getting towards the tail end of their oh, thing. I, I think fuck, I hope so. the, they were more in their 80s, but like, yeah, they were very popular, weirdly popular. As I mentioned before, band named after the doll form in the UK. Yep. Uh, some would say appropriately, some yeah. would say uh, would have been a better career choice, but absolutely. Hey, look, look, that's we've talked about this before. So, look, I, I think that you know, dudes doing reggae covers of other songs um, is awful across the board. This is an Elvis song. This one, everyone uh, probably yeah. knows that. Um, so, look, I say the cover's always better than the original, but I think I'm going to have to say <laughs> in this certain, I think. The cover is always better than the original unless UB40 is involved. I think that's the disclaimer. <laughs> that is the they, exception that proves the they rule. Butcher, that, that is the exception that proves the rule, Tom. They butcher the fuck out of absolutely everything. Um, I did a, had a look on Discogs. They've released 112 singles. Fucking hell. Which means it's strictly a numbers game from these guys. They just keep pumping them out <laughs> and maybe one in 10 lands, one in 20, one in 30 lands. So that's the thing. 112 singles, if you've got one in 20 landing, there's five number ones. And we've probably talked about these guys before and we have today. Yeah. Again. I think they, I think the trick they pulled off in the 80s was that they were, they sort of had that kind of uh, street level credibility. You know, they were sort of multiracial band. They mm. sung with a kind of reggae style, sort of influenced kind of pop stuff that was popular at the time. So they appealed to like students, you know, young people sort of, you know, you might get some of their stuff played in clubs and that sort of thing. But they're also sort of inoffensive enough that, you know, middle class people could listen to them during dinner parties and, you know, feel like they were a bit cool. And, you know, I I think that was the trick that they pulled off. And that's why they were around for so long and could get away with shit like covering fucking Elvis, for Christ's sake. Like, good luck doing a better version than... Elvis's fucking comeback special, you chodes, like, it's not going to happen. Look, um, Tom, I've made an exhaustive list of um, people not to trust in your life. Number one, any Christian denomination where people keep wrongly predicting the end of the world. Mm -hmm. Real estate agents. People that think that 5G (laughs) causes coronavirus. Mm -hmm. Nazis and UB40 fans. 
Wow. Is that fair? I think that's totally fair. Yep. Look, Somewhere out there, there's a person who fits into all those categories. Yeah, look, I'm not putting UB40 fans in the same category as Nazis, <laughs> but they're certainly an adjacent category. <laughs> so you don't trust them. I couldn't trust them. If someone said, I love UB40, it's like, oh, I don't know. I've stabbed any Jews recently. I don't really know. Can't trust them. Um, any lyrical highlights here? There are, I'm not going to go through this. Part, <laughs> part, apart from anything, everybody always knows the words. Yeah. They're very simple and they didn't write this song, obviously. No, exactly. But I will say one thing for the original. The original is pretty amazing. Like he he does, sings it pretty well. Have you seen the video of the comeback special where he sings yep. this in a boxing ring? It looks like the boxing ring is the only thing that is stopping the women in the audience from just tearing him apart oh, exactly. in front of their eyes. Like... But yeah, I was. I once saw one of the best concerts I've ever seen, which was Daft Punk in about 2005, yep. playing on their Geometric Space Pyramid tour yep. um, in that setting sun, evening show into dusk by the river in Perth. And it was an amazing gig. Everyone went absolutely bananas, completely nuts. And as the crowd were walking away, like they hung around hoping for an encore. There was an encore. And after that, when everyone gets to that bit where everyone finally realizes it's finishing, it's an open air gig. So everyone's out in a big field. People sort of wander away. Most of the people are high. <laughs> yeah. And, and as the crowd, you know, there's that sort of crowd noise where people realize, oh, they're not going to play any anything anymore so they played uh, they played weirdly I can't help falling in love with you like the Elvis version over the PA as everyone's kind of filing out and it's such a weird it sounds like nothing nothing they'd already played it's not a remix or anything and as it builds up to the you know um, builds up to the chorus and uh, and as it got to that they just dropped it out and you could hear everyone leaving was just involuntarily singing the chorus like they've they've left the stage they're walking away to their cars and stuff but it just like once Everyone this song it. starts playing especially when you've been listening to music and you're high for yeah. two hours you just it just locks into this groove in your brain and like yeah it was a good little moment but anyway so tom and i think what what you're saying is that i'm saying this is an insult to that song because this is a not very good cover yeah as but, you say but i think what else you're saying is it <laughs> And I've read between the lines here, Tom, is that Elvis faked his own death and he is a member of Daft Punk. Is <laughs> oh, that what you're saying? Oh, him and Michael Jackson, one helmet yeah, each. I mean, you know? exactly right. Because that's that's the brilliance of being in Daft Punk. It could be anyone. That's true. So maybe Elvis has said, <laughs> I want to keep doing music. I'm going to fake my own death. He must have lost be... a fair bit of weight, but it's yeah, possible. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Puts that mask on. Him and, him and MJ. You reckon the two dudes from Daft Punk, <laughs> him and MJ. And Daft Punk have hung it up recently and said we're retiring because mm. maybe Elvis is just a bit too old to keep yeah. going. And MJ's probably a bit too old as well. Janet Jackson. Or, I don't want to say anything, you know, who would have been about the, you know, the age, getting too old to be on stage anymore age. MF Doom, Elvis, you know. Maybe he he really died, but yeah. Look, so once you start wearing a mask, all bets are off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so here, here to here first. Um, Daft Punk is in fact Elvis Presley and MF Doom. Mm. Correct. Yeah. Yes. There you go. And Michael right. Jackson is Janet Jackson. <laughs> is Janet and Jackson. possibly Latoya Jackson for sure. For sure. Absolutely. I, I think that's. I think that makes sense for <laughs> sure. Definitely. So um, good. 
This song's bullshit. Um, 5.9 million people. You should be ashamed of yourself. Um, mighty steel. That's terrible. 55 cents. Yeah, that's way too much for this. Uh, Billy Joel, River of Dreams. One week only. One uh, week. I yep. remember that being bigger than this, but I think maybe they just played it on the radio a lot because it was catchy. Those Absolutely. Catchy Look, um, we've already talked about how Billy Joel was knee-deep in supermodel snatch. <laughs> um, that was the exact words we used. Exactly. Yes. But do you think it was for songs other than this one? This one's got a bit of a gospel vibe. Um, I think it must have been for songs by Billy Joel that I've never heard that exist in a parallel universe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, where I can't, I can't figure it out. His physical appeal and charisma were also stored because, I don't know, I'm clearly, you know, women just love Piano Man a lot more than I would have thought. But, you know. Yeah, there's nothing about this dude that I find interesting, but what is it about a man behind a piano that supermodels find so appealing? It just, you've got me, you know. I mean, if you want to get laid, do anything in front of an audience, but that's a pretty broad net. Like, I don't know why that specifically applies to Billy Joel, but... Yeah, it seems pretty weird. Look, um, this song itself has a bit of a gospel vibe. Um, as someone who isn't a fan of gospel music or just the gospel in general, it doesn't really... I'm not... Don't really care for this at all much. Are you okay with it, Tom? I or? actually don't mind it. It's yep. not It's not as sort of over-the-top gospel-y no. as, say, Madonna's Like a Prayer. No, no, no. Sure. Um, and it's... I think by his standard, I find that sort of influence gives it a bit more... You know, it sounds a little bit like a spiritual or something, but a little bit kind of... Jazzy, you on a spiritual as my journey. Would say. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like you know, like sort of you know, spiritual in the old sense, a little bit. Not not your slowed down, depressing one, but yeah, no. it's got a lot of that is owed to the backing band behind him in the chorus, yeah. uh, which give it this uh, the 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 nice the rhythmic kind of back well, and forth. That it people has. in Australia liked it enough to get it to number one for a week. Mm. As I said, it's not for me. Billy Joel's apparently an atheist. I'm not sure it's even for him, so I don't really know. Who but knows? It's, but it's, for, it's for someone. It's for it, people. I mean, it was around the time that... Yeah, fuck, I don't know. I won't start making dumb generalisations, but yeah, anyway. People, this like, was, people like gospel music. People like pianos. Well, Supermodels like God, pianos. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking about Graceland, but that was a while back. Yeah. This was the title track of his final studio album, anyway, from 1993. Has he not I've... released anything since then? No, no. Okay. I mean, he does live album oh, yeah, tours yeah. and everything. Still, yeah, yeah, he still he tours, just, but in yeah. terms of actual... Yeah, he no, doesn't I, need to. I found that weird, to. too. No, basically, he doesn't. He's like Barry Manilow. He doesn't need to write a new song until he dies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you go see Billy Joel, you're going to get a solid set of, you know, a lot of, a lot of great songs. Oh, yeah. I think he set the record, like, decades ago, but m- multiple times. I think for a long time, him and Elton John were dueling for the title of highest amount of money earned from a New Year's Eve ah. gig or like highest ticket prices or like, you know, they would do that thing where you, you play one concert in yep. one country, then fly a private jet across the dateline, hit up another concert and then you can pull in, you get like 150,000 people, nice. you know, that kind of stuff. But yeah. Look, Absolutely. I could be wrong about the that album thing, but that was what I was informed by a couple of websites anyway. But yeah, no, I thought it was weird too. I could have sworn he'd had more stuff than that. Absolutely. But, Look, um, I yeah. do respect Billy because he calls it how it is and he's not afraid to sort of um, distance himself from previous work that he doesn't really you know, agree <laughs> That's or something. enjoy. That's so something. he used to, he when he was very young, he was in a, a rock band called Attila. <laughs> Um, back in the late 60s to early 70s, which he's described as, quote, psychedelic bullshit. So, 
So I really I appreciate that. Is it bad um, that that sounds way more interesting to me than the rest of his career? <laughs> I'd much rather hear absolutely. some psychedelic. Bullshit. I think Quaidy says end of the sixties. I was in a two man group where we we're heavy metal. We we're going to destroy the world with amplification, <laughs> etc. Um, a lot of people think I just came out at the piano bar, but apparently yeah, he was sort of more into like heavier rock and metal yeah. for a while. So I appreciate that um, that he did that. Was... Release an album, then later called it total bullshit. But was Billy good on him. Joel fucking good on him was Billy Joel at Woodstock oh probably can you just check that for me just oh, to look, sorry you, you... that's one of those things that you hear and it sounds like bullshit it sounds impossible that he's been around that rock long but I have a suspicion that he was yeah if you can if you can tell a personal anecdote Tom or just um, Billy Joel recalls his Woodstock experience I'll, I'm just checking this out what does he say I think he Billy played... Joel went to Woodstock but didn't end up staying for the whole festival because he didn't really like it so I think he was oh, there okay. he was he there, was there, as there a but fan. he didn't play didn't, didn't, didn't perform. there's another there's a band that played there who you would not I have think Snow of. was there um, <laughs> just sort of hanging out he, pre- he performed hey, a really I asked performer. him if he was there but he wouldn't turn informer so, <laughs> he wouldn't you know, turn I looked up his bottom but you yeah. know I and all I could find couldn't was understand 12 that inches of snow was up there. Couldn't understand any responses. No. So, um, look, <laughs> sorry, so sorry, that was a pointless digression. No, it's all good. Do you don't uh, come here for facts? Let me say that, here, ladies and gentlemen. If you come here for fact, if you if you learn anything from this podcast and tell people about <laughs> it, they might call you out on it not being don't true. Don't play a game of Russian roulette based on anything I've said. No, That's exactly. all I'm saying. Exactly. But I will tell you, this is a fact, Tom. This is a rock hard, solid fact. Sure. The cover of River of Dreams, the album, mm-hmm. um, was painted by supermodel Christy Brinkley, who was Billy Joel's wife at the time, mm. his second wife. Um, I've looked at it. The cover art does look like it was done by a child. <laughs> um, like a small child. I think that might be deliberate, to yeah, be honest. Yeah, maybe. I actually, to be honest, I don't hate this, that colour. The cover? No, it's fine. It's a little bit like Rousseau, like a Rousseau drawn by an art school student, but it's not terrible. No, look, I'm totally, I'm, I'm the same, Tom. I'm totally fine with it. But I, I and as you said, like, I, was, I had some sort of interest. I thought, oh, okay, what else has she done? So I googled Christy Brinkley art, <laughs> um, put it into Google, and all I could find was an erotic nude photo of Christy with a horse. Mm. So I'm not really what sure what that's about. You just I just I just typed in Christy Brinkley art <laughs> okay. and then and sort of had a look and then the, I scrolled down a bit and clicked on a link just and it was just that into it was she was here. yeah exactly she was she was nude semi erotic with a horse sure. and just hanging out with that. And now look, I don't want people writing in or saying, "Oh, I heard this thing in this podcast," you know, and, you know, I don't want people reading between the lines. I'm not saying that Christy Brinkley has fucked a horse. I'm not saying that, okay? You know, she might have <laughs> fucked a horse, but I'm not saying that she has. I'm saying that I Googled this. You can do the same thing. Google Christy Brinkley art. You know, you find a link, click on it. There's her. She's nude. She's hanging out with a horse. It looks kind of weird. Yes. But don't take what I'm saying yes. with that and try and extrapolate that into some sort of Christy Brinkley had sex with a horse. I don't right. want to get... It. We don't want a defamation suit. If on there's the... one message to take away from this show, one maxim, if you will, mm. it's never play a game of Russian roulette based on a bet around whether or not Christy Brinkley has fucked a horse. Oh, exactly. You know, put exactly that on a t-shirt right. just in case you, you want to remember it. Print it backwards sure. so you'll see it when you look when in, you the look in the mirror in the morning. Yeah. 
Yeah, but definitely, you know, definitely, definitely. If so, you're, if you're, you know, um, if you don't know who Christy Brinkley, I was thinking she was like was a mo- say, oh, yeah, sorry. If you don't know who Christy Brinkley is, <laughs> but the best thing I could, the, be, the only way I could think of to describe it was Billy Joel's wife. She's yeah, or she's the lady from the red Corvette at the start of National Lampoon's Vacation. But then I was like, if you know what that is, then you'll know who Christy Brinkley is, and if you don't, you won't anyway. So why am I bothering? Let's she just was say an early supermodel. Let's just like exactly. a Cindy Crawford era. So look, I guess every in 2021 there's still models there, but all the all models these days are probably Instagram. They're on Instagram. They're <laughs> promoting fire super- festival. They're doing whatever the fuck they're doing, trying to sell some lip balm or some bullshit. But back in 1993, um, yeah, they were super, they were just on the runways doing bikini yes. shots, that sort of shit. So Christy Brinkley. Back in 1993, what probably she was probably one of the most famous supermodels. Her, yes. Elle McPherson, yeah. and those sort of people. Instead of OnlyFans, so, you had sex with superannuated musicians. Exactly. So, so Billy Joel was knee deep in the supermodels back then. <laughs> that seemed to be who he dated. He date. I think he did date date. Sorry, date Elle McPherson. Pretty yeah, no, we talked before. about that. He wrote uh, Uptown Girl about a 19 year old maximum Elle McPherson. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, anyway. for sure. Um, also, by the way, I like the cover, but the font is total crap. Whoever did that needs a clip. Oh, yes. Okay, so who directed bullshit. the video for this? I couldn't even remember what the video was like. Um, Andrew Morahan directed this. Um, this Ooh. video sucks shit, but he has the fucking resume to die for. Um, Highlander 3, The Sorcerer, need I say more? Often called the best one after number two, of course. <laughs> exactly. But look, he also directed Guns N' Roses Estranged. We talked about this before. That's a fucking drug nightmare. Yes, that, music video. that was the trilogy those yeah, three no, exactly. don't cry November Rain and Estrange were yeah. well ahead of their time in terms of coke fueled mania so. oh it's fantastic Estrange features the dolphins and Slash coming out of the ocean and all that mm-hmm. sort of shit it's fantastic um, and he also directed Michael Jackson live in Bucharest the dangerous tour it sounds like a great <laughs> video so um, there is the I, I've i been to Bucharest, um, Tom and when I went to Bucharest I remember going to the <laughs> Weird thing about Bucharest is... You went to the Michael Jackson statue. I went to the Michael Jackson statue and just went there and hung out. But um, apparently um, they demolished almost all of the old town. So Bucharest apparently was like... To make way for the Michael Jackson statue. Michael Jackson statue. It's 500 feet tall. It's massive, yeah. So um, outside of, I think it's the... Is it the Pentagon? Yeah, outside of the Pentagon, um, there's a government building in Bucharest, which is the second largest government building in the world. Wow. So they demolished basically their entire old town to sort of build this. And um, it's just like some thousand room crazy thing that no one is in. But apparently Michael Jackson came out, I think, on the balcony of that Mm -hmm. um, to sort of on this sort of Bucharest dangerous tour and came out and said, hello, Budapest. And everyone went, wrong country mate this is Bucharest <laughs> that's in Hungary we're in Romania um, oh, so I think then he waved um, a few babies around he dropped a baby off a sort of cliff and I was like okay. so Andrew Morahan he may have edited that out of the video I'm not sure but yeah someone told me that story while I was there in Bucharest um, I hope it's true if what, it's not what happens in the video just out of curiosity I didn't get time oh uh, Billy's playing the, he's playing the piano and there's um, the sort of the African American backing singers wearing yep. suits. They sort of, and that's about that's it. They're sort of going, yeah. yeah. So he was a big night. fan of, um, predictably enough for a tedious guy like that. Yeah. Well, speaking of lyrics, this has, he was a big fan of doo wop yep. and that sort of thing. And this has a kind of weird doo wop slash gospel style chorus. 
where the backup singers repeat everything he says line by line, which mm. makes it kind of catchy. So, you know, not particularly dreamlike on the other hand. But yeah. um, by the standards of Billy Joel lyrics, it's got a little room for ambivalence and mystery, sort of. And so it, you just have to remember everything repeats. So it's in the middle of the night, in the middle of the night, I go walking in my sleep, I go walking in my sleep through the jungle of doubt, etc. Through a river so deep. I know I'm searching for something, something so undefined that it can only be seen by the eyes of the blind. Mm, mm. Mm, does that mean anything, Ben? No. <laughs> he seems to be talking about mortality in the soul, oh. although what those specific things have to do with dreaming, I'm not really sure. But it sure beats the fuck out of Uptown Girl. It does, anyway, yeah. but yes. What can only be seen by the eyes of the blind? What's I it? know. that's what. It's like one of those fucking... It's like... I think... It's a bit like Bono in that sense. They're not untalented at lyrics compared to a lot of people, but they can't resist sort of cheesy things like that. Yeah. Something undefined. What rhymes with undefined? Something that can only be seen by the eyes of the blind. Oh, that's too good. I've got to put that in. Does it mean anything? Not really but it sounds kind of <laughs> vaguely like it might be, you know. Yeah, Dono's stuff. I was doing The Fly the other day. That's full of shit like that as yeah, well. Like exactly. About half of it sounds like, is this actually profound? And the other half, you're like, no, you just like that rhyme. Look, it yeah. sounds good until someone spends three seconds thinking about it and they realise it's total bullshit. Yes. But, um, but, yeah. it, but it sounds good. On the radio, good. yeah. Exactly. Anyway, he performed this at the Grammys uh, this year where it was nominated for Best Song, although it lost to I Will Always love you that was a behemoth that couldn't be fucking stopped Uh, famously halfway through the song he left a long pause to protest the fact that Frank Sinatra had been cut off reading his acceptance speech for the Grammy Legend of the Year award so he did a little bit of live protest and and just through that pause he just said Wasting a lot of advertising money here. <laughs> Good. <laughs> fucking I'm not sure if on. that counts as going fuck the system or not, but you know. It does count as fuck hey. the system. He's basically raging against the machine at this raging point. Raging against the machine on behalf of a very old man. Yeah, and good to see him tackling the big the issues, <laughs> yeah, the, 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 the huge issues. Standing up for Frank Sinatra, who went out with several teenagers. Yeah, exactly. Look, should um, we tackle racism? No, let's just tackle <laughs> Frank not being able to say thank you to Gary or some shit like that. Well done. So it's okay. Okay, sorry. That's that's everything I've got to say. Sixteen point six mil. Uh, yeah, on Spotify. Sure. That's fucking heaps. But he does have a lot of hits. A lot, but that probably includes his Attila material as well. His <laughs> uh, psychedelic bullshit. I'm I wish this was psychedelic. Into that. 14 cents, yeah, probably. Oh, that's probably about right. Um, good stuff. So that was only for one week. Coming up next, eight weeks. Mm, this was meatloaf. a big one. I will do anything for love, bracket, but I won't do that in bracket. Look, meatloaf, when he has a hit, it sticks around for fucking ever. This dude, oh, wow. this dude knows a yep. lot about writing hits. Now, look, um, some people will say. Um, if you're an Australian, you may know this. His performance at the 2011 <laughs> AFL Grand Final was one of the worst performances that's ever taken place in any sort of live arena ever of all time. Perhaps that's true. It that's wasn't true. very good. He did sound like a man that was sort of, you know, on drugs or, <laughs> you know, shortness of breath or had never sung before in his life. Mm. But that was 2011. Let's let's rewind back to here, 1993. Mm. Um, Believe it, I mean to show how long we've been around. This was his comeback. Yeah, like, exactly. This was me. This was the single off "Bad Out of Hell" two. two. Yeah. After his first one was a massive, another globe-spanning hit. But yeah. um, 
Yeah. Because I think prior to this, like his other really big hits were in the 70s. So he'd had a yes. bit of a gap. So he'd had some big hits in the 70s. 80s didn't really do a lot. Come early 90s. And he's, he's, he's straight punched back this out. Like a bat out of hell, like you a, might say. You might say that, like a bat out of hell. Meatloaf um, overall has sold in excess of world, worldwide more than 75 million albums. That's that, insane. That is crazy. By modern day standards, that is fucking miraculous. You yeah. know, that's, that's getting towards Michael Jackson territory, which is pretty amazing for a guy who looks a bit like a nightclub bouncer who's let himself go and is named <laughs> after a not especially appetizing no. and very much out of date food product exactly. from the 1950s. Do you think by the 70s it was just like this is meatloaf as a name to never going out of style and then come three years later it's like it oh just, shit. I bullshit. just can't imagine which musical genre meatloaf as a name would ever have fitted into. It's, yeah. This is this argument that I used to have, not an argument, but like a, a, a question to pose with bands. Yeah. I would often find myself thinking of this when you're looking at the $2 remainder bin outside the record shop, like yeah. they used to have, flipping through all the bands. And because it's the $2 remainder bin, most of them you don't know, no, apart from the presidents of the United States and arguing Joe CDs. And so all of the band names, or well, a lot of them just seem weird and yeah. dumb. Like, And you're like, well, no wonder you got never got because you called Spud Monkey whack. 3 <laughs> exactly. but then you're thinking but listen but so did the, did these bands was their success negatively affected by their shitty names yeah. or is it simply that once a band has been popular for X period of time you stop hearing how shit their name is and we just ignore the all the popular bands with terrible names that are in, that exist now because you've heard it so many times yeah, like exactly. Meatloaf that it doesn't strike you as dumb as shit which it would have the first time somebody heard Meatloaf oh look I completely agree if Meatloaf hadn't have been a success we would look back and just went that was a fucking stupid yeah but the fact that he sold so many records and people just accepted it and said that I suppose what I'm asking is do you reckon he had to from an objective perspective do you reckon he would have had to work harder as a musician because he called himself Meatloaf than if he'd been called Dave Sexy or something like that. Yeah, or Romeo Blue. Romeo like if he had have run with Romeo Blue, <laughs> yes. if he had have like taken that, would he be like his name's Michael Aday. I mean, he's a hot, sexy so, man. I mean, like, you know, <laughs> like if he just had have come out and said, "I'm Michael Aday," like yeah. maybe Meatloaf works better. Look, oh, power to it's him for giving memorable. it memorable. Don't get me wrong, memorable. and it has the sign of a man who's got a sense of humor about himself, as does his. My personal favourite appearance in Fight Club is a man with gigantic estrogen power. Oh, absolutely. Bitch tits. Oh, for sure. Like, that's, <laughs> that's the thing as well. It's yeah, a he, great performance. He's done a few turns in movies. He doesn't show up that often. I also but quite like his performance uh, on, I think it's Celebrity The Apprentice screaming his head off at a <laughs> confused Gary Busey. Oh, good. <laughs> that good. Something to do with crayons or something <laughs> like that. It's definitely worth a YouTube if you want. Oh, look, anyway, think, sorry, yeah. getting back to his actual music. 75 sure. million albums, that's nuts. That's absolutely insane. So he started off doing a lot of um, bullshit musicals. Um, he, that's where he got yes. to start doing musicals. So, Which is awesome that he was able to spin out of that bullshit and get into doing music and yes. um, focus on this. And film because <laughs> musicals suck shit. They all they're all awful. Um, ironically, they've probably turned like Bad Out of Hell into a musical now or some crap like that. I, I guarantee really it's kind of it really does have that sort of vibe to it. Yeah, absolutely. and I think um, he wrote a lot of his best stuff with 
was co-written by Jim Steinman or written by Jim Steinman, who I think had a musical background as well because all of his shit has that bombastic, over-the-top, like we're talking about, death or poontang. I'm so horny, I'm going to burst like a supernova thing. He wrote, among other things, Total Eclipse of the Heart, Holding Out for a Hero, Bad Out of Hell, Two Out of Three Ain't Bad, various songs to take that, Sisters of Mercy, Celine Dion, Donny Osmond, and of course, his best-known hit, Hulk Hogan's theme from the cartoon show <laughs> Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling, which good. was laid out madly reworked as a um, Bonnie Tyler song that was another hit. So yeah, oh, so Hulk he knew Hogan what he was doing, but yeah, he wrote pretty much all of the any Meat Lodge song that pops into your head. He was written by him, so That's good. yeah, oh, he was oh. the first guy to knock out a massive smash like this. And he also had an operatic sense of how long a song should go. Yeah, twelve <laughs> minutes. I think so. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Because none of those are short and no, fucking songs. No, no, no. Look, look, it's good to see that he worked with Hulk Hogan. Hopefully he also worked with Brooke Hogan um, <laughs> on the theme song to Brooke Knows Best, which I think is the greatest TV so- theme song of all time. We'll talk about that some other day, hopefully. So sure. I can do anything. It's my life. So shit. But anyway, it's great. Um, but yeah, look, you're right. Because most other people say a pop song needs to be two and a half, three and a half no. minutes long. This dude's just went, how about eight to ten minutes? Yes. Um, I think Freddie Mercury had the same idea. Yeah, this because this song itself um, goes for I think uh, the music video version goes for about eight minutes um, yeah. but that's the that's the radio that's the edit that's the single edit <laughs> on the album I think it tops 12 minutes so that's great yeah. but yeah all it's of his songs you're up and I think that the thing about Meat Life is you correct like he started out doing opera and sorry musicals did that sort of stuff and mm-hmm. a lot of his songs do have that sort of like story like this is going for yes. 10 minutes. We're telling a story. It goes forever. There's going to be ebbs and flows, yeah, ups and downs. It, and I do really respect that. It, I think it's pretty fun. It's, it's pretty different. Like, it takes real skill to write a long pop song like Stairway to Heaven or fucking... Yep. People will, contrary to what people still think, people will listen and fall in love with a long-ass pop song as long as it doesn't bore them. If it doesn't exactly. have flat spots, if yeah. it has a narrative, like a drama to it and a sense of pacing and stuff, people will do it. And here's the up, here's the down, here's the... And, you know, yeah. and I think, yeah, you're absolutely right. And I sort of Twists think... Twists and turns and... Well, that's why people like Bohemian Rhapsody, don't they, by Queen? Yeah, Isn't that totally. Because it's got, you know, the sort of the fast part, the slow bit, the sort of epic bit, part. the head banging. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So It doesn't bore you. You, it, yeah. Whereas, like we said with Sonia Dada, you can have a normal four minute long pop song, and after 90 seconds, you're looking around for the nearest gun oh, to put the shit. stereo out of yeah, its exactly. misery. Terrible, know. terrible. Um, look, interestingly, I think, look, I don't really want to talk about this too much because no, you're it's, right. it's, it's, no, sorry, not that time. I think what I'm talking about now is that, um, a lot of people have sort of speculated, you know, the song is, I'll do anything for love, but I won't do that. And there's been a lot of speculation <laughs> about what he won't do. Yes. And I don't really want to, you know, I think if you go onto any internet forum, people will probably go, oh, you know, I reckon he's not going to do this and not do that. And I think they <laughs> kept it sort of very vague in the song, like what he won't do. They mm. didn't really talk about it a lot. Um, and I, I actually don't know what it is, but I probably think one thing you wouldn't do is walk 500 miles like the Proclaimers <laughs> are sort of, you're sort of in one of their songs because he's a large man and 500 miles seems, well, it seems insane for anyone. So I think if people say, what is it that Meatloaf won't do in that song? It's that. It's a mm. Proclaimer. This is, this is a, this song's a sort of a diss track to the Proclaimers, I think, is what I'm trying to say. Yes. 
Yeah, I'm not sure uh, whether he named himself after a food item as a joke or it turned into a self-fulfilling, self-fulfilling prophecy or not, but certainly yep. by the time of this music video, let's just say he's doing a fair bit of Steven Seagal-style standing in deep shadows. <laughs> Absolutely. Steven Seagal <laughs> would have watched this and just went, ah, that's what I can do, just sort of stand in the shadows, you know, throw someone over a table with a quick flip of the wrist, so it's all good, but... um. Yeah, look, the song itself, it's pretty epic. There's a lot of ebbs and flows that we've talked about. Pretty good. Yeah, um, it is. Music video, I enjoy this as well. It's Michael Bay. Yeah. Michael Bay directed this. Oh, he's back again. He's yeah. back again. No, still no fucking Megan Fox in a car wash. <laughs> but that's probably a good thing because she was only eight at the time, I think. But it, it does feature a police chase. So, you know, Michael Bay is sort of getting some of his stuff out and about. So, um, the video is based uh, loosely on Beauty and the Beast. Mm. Um which explains Meatloaf's whack-as-hell makeup throughout the film because I think um, he is... I don't want to ruin this for anyone that hasn't seen it, but he's the beast in the Beauty and the Beast duo. Ah, gotcha. So he's playing the beast in this one. So, And according to one um, executive that's working on the music video, apparently it had the budget... Um, of four weddings and a funeral. So. Well, I mean, it looks like it. Not, I mean, it's dated, sure, yep. but like it does. It looks like a short, a Michael Bay short film, like production oh, does, yeah. videos. There's all sorts of weird effects, set changes. This is a long song. There's things exploding, crashing oh, down. Exactly. You know, there's you know actors, especially yeah. There's all Michael sorts Michael Bay of had the town. chance to go to town on this one, I think. And so one hundred percent did. It looks like he's taken everything he's learned from Janie's Got a Gun and expanded it. In fact, weirdly, I think, I swear to God, I'm, this isn't even a joke, but I swear to God, some of the cops and the dad from Janie's Got a Gun show, show up. up. Yeah, exactly. In it, but maybe because everything's lit blue and it just looks like it. But yeah, Michael Bay yeah. works with the best, Tom. So once he had yeah. them in Janie's Got a Gun and went, you can do a good cop thing. Come in here, but sure. Some more work for you on this meatloaf. It's kind thing, of like so like good. we were talking about before with that Bon Jovi video where he, they set fire to a cinema on top of a mesa yep. in a canyon. You're like this just this alone just shows how well that this artist was doing at the time. People would just go, no, you can do that if you want. Like what? Absolutely. Like if you if you reckon that's what that's what you need, you do it, buddy. Go Look, ahead. it begs the question, Tom. Is this the best thing Michael Bay's ever done? <laughs> It may be one of the most cogent things he's ever done. It's yep. certainly one of the shortest and most to-the-point things he's ever done. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> there's no superfluous sort of bullshit. I mean, not that there's any fat on Transformers 7. <laughs> no, the exactly. The right. robot or whatever the Look, that's a, that's a That's called. a tight two hours, 20 time. You can't trim anything <laughs> off that. I think it's pretty good. But look... Watching this video, if you've not seen it before, go watch it, check it out, it's pretty good. Um, so as I said, there's a police chase at the start, uh, Meatloaf's riding a motorcycle, um, he pulls into a mansion, which I think looks like it's like in a cemetery, mansion, yep. which is pretty sweet. Um, a cop walks inside to follow Meatloaf. We don't know what Meatloaf's done at this time, but a chandelier falls down and it crushes a police officer. Plot twist. Plot twist. So there's a dead body inside the mansion. But Meatloaf, he's not really to blame. No. Well, he is to blame not. in the sense that he hasn't adequately, you know, done the maintenance <laughs> that's required for that sort of mansion. True. If he had of sort of, you know, if he had have kept, yeah, no OHS. If he had of sort of, I guess, made sure that all the chandeliers were fine, it may not have fallen down. So negligent, maybe criminal, probably not. So um, that happens. So Meatloaf flees. He's like, oh, I've got to get out of here. There's a dead body in here. He gets out of there, runs away, and he spots the uh, the beauty. Um, so she's bathing in a fucking uh, bird bath, which yeah, is weird as hell. I think it was one of Billy Joel's. I think so. 
So that's a bit that's a you know red flag for me if you see a chick <laughs> bathing in a fucking bird bath you get the hell away. But so he sort of spots and goes, Oh, what what's this chick doing? Then she sees him, they make eye contact, he flees, yep. and he drops his amulet. Which uh, you know everyone's got an amulet, amulet and they drop yeah. that. So she picks it up, says, Better return this to me, life. Shows up at the mansion, which let's face it's creepy as fucking hell. Mm-hmm. But she just walks inside and says, oh, I've got to give this amulet back. And she does what you or I would do, Tom. She lights about a thousand candles and has a bath. So, mm, you know, that's yes. what you do. When oh, you can't find the person at yeah, home. <laughs> exactly. If you if you this is this is a tip for life. If you go to someone's house to drop off an amulet, you can't see them, but the door's unlocked, you walk mm-hmm. inside. You go, they're probably coming back soon, <laughs> so I'll wait for them. While I'm waiting, just light every candle in the house, jump in the bathtub, and that'll while away the time. Yes. And then when they come home, they'll be like, someone's having a bath. They'll knock on the door and you go, I've got the amulet for you. Deed is done. So it's okay. So then after the bath, um, she's seduced by three chicks <laughs> while Meatloaf just mm. watches on. So it's sort of like Dracula bit of a soft porn. Exactly. A bit of a weird porn vibe there. So she's getting... She's sort of in. There's like a bit of a four way there with just a lesbian four way where Meatloaf's just <laughs> sort of just sitting there going, "This is pretty sweet." And then he runs away. Um, she sits on a different chair, which just starts levitating. Yeah, just rises up in the air, floats away, and um, there you go. And she responds to Meatloaf because during the song yes. he said, "You know, I won't do that." And then she. Sings back to him while on this yeah. levitating chair all the things, uh, says to Meatloaf, What are the Damn things it. you will do for me? Will you do this? Will you do that? And he I goes, I looked yeah, up well. who that was, but I can't remember um, who it was. Yes, it's a female singer of the day. Yeah, she does like, she takes the lead for that part, takes which the is baton. Pretty and, good. And then they yeah, just sort of fun. teleport out of the room to his motorbike and they just ride off into the sunset. Yep. Cops show up too late. Cops show oh, up too late because they've just teleported out of yep. there. So it's a very realistic and very fun <laughs> music video, I think. We can all relate to that. We can all relate to returning an amulet um, to a mansion and True. having a bath and then teleporting to We've a motorcycle. We've all been there. So a lot of fun. Really enjoyed that one. Are there any lyrical highlights? There must sure. be loads. Well, the or ob- none. The obvious <laughs> thing is the question of what he won't do. Mm. As you said, you know, people speculate might be push-ups, pegging, going for a long <laughs> walk, etc. But he does actually say in the song, he just says it before a question, which is what makes it a little bit confusing. Um if you only give it a casual listen. But yeah, yep. these are the things he won't do for love. Um, although he won't do... Not for love. Not for love, yep. yes. He won't not do for love. Uh, that is, one, forget the way you feel right now. Yep. Two, forgive myself if we don't go all the way tonight. Yep. A little bit arm twisty, <laughs> but sure, it's the 90s. Three, stop dreaming of you every night of my life. Four, move on. And five, screw around. That's good to see. Finally. Good to see. Gives it that nice little earthy punch. That's the last line of the song, pretty much, where she says, sooner or later you'll be screwing around. He says, but I won't do that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Monogamy anyway, is a big... Basically, thing he takes eight minutes to say, I'll still respect you if you let me finger blast you in a parked car. <laughs> but true. then he'd already built an entire musical career on that lyrical theme to massive success. Yep. And this was an international number one hit. So clearly... 
you know, it's a thing that people were ready to hear about. He was a rich vein. He was ready to mine it, you know. Oh, no doubt. Absolutely. Look, how would you feel, Tom, if you get home tonight after doing this podcast and there's just someone in a bathtub at your house? Are <laughs> you, like, what, freaking out? Like, every, well, we've got wooden floors and yep. if every flammable thing in the whole house was on fire and they were in the bathtub, yeah. I would probably think that some sort of emergency had happened. But, yeah, yeah, exactly. Look, but power to her, it's okay. Oh, it worked out well in the end. Um... <laughs> Don't know about that dead cop though. They didn't really revisit that. Like, what happened to him? Yes. Was he okay? Probably wasn't. I don't really know. I'm not sure. Um, look, Meatloaf has three point four mil on this. That's a bit low for me. I thought I would, I would have been higher. Thought a bit higher. Maybe he's not attracting the young people the way he, prob- he used yeah. to. I think his core audience probably owns all of his stuff on CD, so they're just spinning those discs on the on they're the still vinyl making on drama the CDs. Students, though, I mean, you know, true, that's true. Maybe they're yeah. all listening to Lady Gaga now. He they, should do a duet with her. Oh God, he should do. But he he seems to have these come back in waves. So I reckon, um, what seventies, nineties? <laughs> it's about now. Yeah. Let's fast forward to now, twenty twenty one. Let's do that. So. Um, fantastic and 33 cents for this um, on Discogs pick up a copy that's cheap as chips because it goes Mm. like in terms of cost per minute you're getting value for money there because this thing goes for fucking ever so (laughs) there you go Um, so 8 weeks of that power moving on 30th October for one week culture beat Mr. (laughs) Vane call me Mr. Raider call me Mr. Wrong call him Mr. Vane Mm. call him insane <laughs> I know what I want and I want it now I want you because I'm Mr. Vane wow I mean I can't argue with that absolutely look um, anyone who knows me Tom knows I'm a massive Eurobeats fan um, <laughs> just can't get to that 90s Euro dance and culture beater from Germany and um, they fucking know how to do this mm. I think Germany if people look at their exports list I don't know what it is I think it's probably Volkswagens <laughs> and Eurobeats I think they're probably the two even today even 2021 mm. I think it's sort of that's on the top of the ledger in terms of what they've exported they to the world they were certainly competing with the Netherlands and Ericsson's yeah the, the Netherlands, Netherlands as well, well they were yeah mm. everyone was just it was the time. Eurobeats were, you know, it was their time in the sun, and they were ready to, you know, dance. For sure, for sure. So, look, if, if you don't know if someone sort of, if someone plays you an early 90s Eurodance song, you don't know where it's from, just go, oh, these guys from Germany, or these guys are from the Netherlands, and I reckon you've got a 50-50 <laughs> sort of guess at which ones it's going to be. Sure. Um, it's pretty fantastic. Um, look, if, and if, some, if someone doesn't know what, like, early 90s Eurobeats are, Eurodance, just play them this song, because this is probably the the dictionary definition of yeah. 90s Eurodance. Oh, it's just got, it's got, what, you sort of 140 BPMs. Yeah. It's got um, Chick doing the verses, yep. Dude doing the rap bit. I think there's much. another one coming up soon, which is getting close as well. But <laughs> that that um, Euphoria one in a million from last, from yep. 1992, that was close, yeah, but they exactly. hadn't quite perfected the source. They were there, they've got it, you know. Yeah, it's bubbling got it, away. It's bubbling away, but it still needs a few condiments in there. And I think, yeah... Yeah. These guys had them. They, Unless, they look, had Tom, the mustard. I will just say that earlier this year I saw a stunning rendition <laughs> of this in a, on a train in Melbourne um, that just blew me away. It was so good. And it just shows the longevity of this song. People love it as much today as they did in 1993. It was a very... It was a stirring rendition. Um, 
Oh, one of my favourite things I've seen this year, I think, probably. Are you telling so. me that, uh, you know, that you're seeing young drug users getting into this the same way that drug users were getting into this in the 90s? I am, and that's what, sort of, that's what I like, Tom. It's, it's sort of, it shows yes. that there's sort of like a throughway between drug users in 1993 and drug users yeah, in 2021. Nice. People are still enjoying this. The drugs may be different. Yep. I don't know. They're probably not the exact same the trains, drugs. The may trains may be different, but, but people... Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning. <laughs> I'm just taking the kids to fucking, you know, go buy some Lego or some bullshit and someone's on there singing this song really loudly. I really In thoroughly public. enjoy it. Let me ask you, did they have headphones? You know, were they just freestyling? They did. They had headphones ah, okay. on. I couldn't hear the music. I could only hear the vocals, but the vocals were so good. It was probably playing a different song on their yeah, headphones. Yeah, exactly. The no, it was spot on. So, <laughs> um, and look, it's not just me that loves this, Tom, because mm-hmm. this was a number one in at least a dozen no countries. No shit, all over yeah. Europe, I'm all over sure, Europe. but still, yeah. yeah, that's impressive. Europe and Australia, so that's pretty good. Look, um, I think Culture Beat, they're, they're probably top-tier Eurodance, yes, um, along say. with the likes of uh, Two Unlimited, yep. um, La Bouche, yep. Black Box, mm-hmm. they're sort of all the, the top-tier Eurobeats. But look, I think this genre dat- bat's pretty deep, and I'm equally into third-tier Eurodance acts like Erotic, um, Ice MC, <laughs> Max and Captain Jack. Yeah, so, no, I think totally. all of those guys have some pretty. I'm a huge AB Logic fan. You know? <laughs> of course, yeah. the Hitman. No, yeah, everyone. But loves I mean, that. you can't argue with Two Unlimited. You know, they were the oh. official. They were the official Eurodance group of worldwide rocker Stedfords in high school. For, oh, yeah. for, for a whole decade. I think, if you were doing like. a rocker Stedford and didn't have a Two Unlimited song, you may mm. as well not be in there. And they That's also right. provided. Um, a theme song to the Hobart Tennis Centre for about 20 years, probably against their will. I'm sure someone paid $10 for it to use for a week and they just used it for 28 years, yeah. but it's pretty good. I remember, yeah, probably about 2009, still so like watching TV, just going, dun, 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 <laughs> letter, dun, dun, just going, so it's good. Um, so, yeah, look, it's a tried and tested formula, yeah, Eurodance. What would you say the formula was, if you had to summarise the genre for oh, someone look, who's... It's, it's usually like a keyboard bit that's like... Mostly keyboard, yeah. Like, with some sort of um, synth synth effect on there, um, beats probably one forty beats per minute, something like that, I guess. There's always a chick doing the chorus. Yep, as we've discussed, often not the one that you're looking at. No, very <laughs> frequently someone Usually. that they didn't pay. Exactly. <laughs> so the vocalist doesn't get any money. It's the chick that's on, on in the music video. Um, and then there's all and then there's a dude doing a rap. There's yes. always part of the way through doing. Yep. And the raps range from. Um, alright through to fucking horrendous so you should be sort of that range they're never great they're okay no. um, but this one has one of the better ones I think this is done by a dude called uh, Jay Supreme yeah respect that fucking name so there's always a dude doing a rap um so he does um, call me Mr. Raider call me Mr. Wrong call me insane call me Mr. Vane Call me what you like as long as you call me. Ah, uh, yes. Time and again. Sure. So he's just like, I don't care what you call me. Just fucking jump on the phone and call me. I'm like, I can respect that, Jay Supreme. Do you find, just, just to go back to the Eurobeat stuff, yep. do you find that these songs are sort of dated by the production technology that was around at the time because they're so much more, you know, they were using things like the voice effects and stuff and most of the beats are synthetic and that sort of yep. thing that do you reckon they sort of hold up on the basis of catchiness and danceability? Yeah, or I think so. Or do you so. reckon that, like, do you think that kids would be into them, you know? I think they would. Um, I think the sound of them themselves is because at that time, 
I imagine um, there was probably, if people are using computers to do these things, this is probably the very early days of, rather than trying to use like a, probably people were still using like a drum machine and maybe like a sampler, but I gather that this is super, super early days of people getting like a, uh, an IBM like <laughs> early computer. Oh, you certainly wouldn't have a laptop pro- on stage no, with no, this. But programming you wouldn't be doing this anything at home on a live. Yeah. But I gather that in terms of the beats, like there wasn't a lot of varia like the songs of the era sound the same because I think everyone was probably drawing from yes. the same two drum samples. Yeah. And the and the sort of synth parts probably drawing from like a couple of effects and everyone's just going din 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 like trying to mm. do that. Um, so I think sort of it has its sort of very own sound because of yeah just the technology that was around at that time and if it would apply to young people today I think it probably would because um, <laughs> I was watching Rage the other day and so, and there was just like I can't remember what it was but um, there was some cover of like a song and I went fuck this sounds familiar and it was just a song from 1995 oh, that okay. some dude had just sort of quote <laughs> updated end quote so I think that um, yeah young people could probably get involved with this and I went to like a hipster um, like cafe once and they were just playing La Bouche so like <laughs> Be My Lover with like no degree of irony so I think people might How about it. the very young kids the kids of tomorrow of tomorrow like say your two year old and four year old are they into La Bouche? Uh, oh, they're not my, my kids aren't into La Bouche they're more into old school hip hop um, so They do like um, <laughs> we listen to The Jones and Crew they love the Jones and Crew they love that sort They were even earlier than um, this They also love um, Tom Cochran so I don't know what the fuck's going <laughs> going on with those kids so okay sure sorry i distracted no it's fine but yeah but yeah so look i think um oh look i the the thing is i remember watching rage as a kid and this like mr vane like something like this Eurobeats would be just be back to back with like rage against the machine or something or like yeah or something so to me it all sort of blend i don't it was a very very top 40 yeah yeah. as a kid i can't really i wasn't a i wasn't like oh i don't like this because it doesn't have guitars i think i sort of had like an affinity for this but i do acknowledge that it is kind of a bit shit because all the songs (laughs) not this song necessarily but all every song in the genre was effectively the exact same thing. Yeah. There were twenty artists just going. It's got the same BPMs, basically the same yeah. drum and thing. People slight using variation very similar with technology yep. and yep. yeah, similar like on the keyboards. Always chick doing the chorus. <laughs> always a dude rapping. And As you say <laughs> though, the plus side of that though is that it gives it a sense of of genre like it, it makes it feel like they're all you know oh, they're, all, they're all doing the same sound which is that that has its pluses too for sure and I, and I think the reason you would do this and I think Jay Supreme sums it up very well <laughs> in his sort of second rap of the song is that um, he says I keep many females longing for a chance to win my heart with S-E-X and plenty Ah. So Tom, I think that he realizes that the Eurobeats can get him a bit of SEX and plenty. <laughs> um, and if you're a chick and you want to win the heart, the affection of Jay Supreme, you're going to have to give him mm. SEX and plenty. Sure. So, and look, well, he is Mr. Vane. So absolutely. That if that's the name of the game, if you're after <laughs> SEX and plenty, then you want to be in the Eurobeats game. I think so. Um, look, Culture Beat was the invention of a German producer, um, Torsten um, Fenslau. And it was speculated that he wrote this song about himself. Um, and as is common with these Eurodance songs, um, the producer's nowhere to be fucking seen. Oh, okay. So the video clip's usually the, the chick doing the, the, the sort of chorus, the dude doing the rap, but the actual people that wrote all the music 
they're, yeah. they're, they're heard they're never seen no there's a lot of them. as we said before with Euphoria there's a lot of people pretending to play instruments that either aren't in the song or are clearly samples from another yeah. song because there's not a lot of actual music happening it's all vocals and production which is not visibly taking place in the song so oh exactly and look unfortunately like Torsten um, the producer the, the I guess the mastermind of Culture Beat um Look, he was killed in a car crash in 1993, so oh, not too shame. long after this. So he got to see Mr. Vane be number one. Not long after that, he unfortunately passed away at the age of 29, which is sad. But 29, I guess, yeah, yeah look, I guess as they say, it's better to burn out than fade away, Tom. <laughs> so look, um, he he came in, he punched hard, he gave us Mr. Vane, and then he left this world. Um, remember how a few weeks ago we talked about in uh, Australia the first number one. Hit to not have a seven-inch single was do the Bart yeah, yeah. Simpsons cassette so, only, yeah. cassette only. So in the UK, this was this was the first. Song. Oh, okay. So, so they hang on longer. Yeah, yeah. First number one hit to not have a seven-inch single um, was since the format was invented in the fifties. So every number one song from the fifties to now um, had a seven-inch single. Well, Mr. Vane didn't, so this was only about longer than I would have thought of. I remember them being gone earlier than that. Yeah, it's crazy. Exactly. Longer. So I think, um, I remember when I lived in the UK, you'd still see the, like, not a lot, but you'd still see the occasional seven-inch single oh, like, really? at, like, HMV or some shit. So I think that it was sort of like a bit of a niche novelty, like yeah. some bands would be like, oh, yeah, you know, our fans like us to release yeah. 500 of this and they'll sell yep. them. But, yeah, so in terms of, like, mass appeal, obviously not. But, yeah, I think the UK held on for a little bit longer. But, yeah, so this is the first one that was CD and single only. So there you go. Um, I don't know. Did you watch the music video for this, Tom? Did you check it out? Um, I have seen it, but not for a while. Yeah, it's yeah. okay. Look, I don't know what the budget was for the video, but... Uh, yeah, no, I did actually. Keep going. You did, yes. yeah. So look, I checked it out. Look, not sure exactly what the budget was, but it does appear 80 to 90% of that budget <laughs> was spent on fruit <laughs> yes. because the whole video, they're just fucking crushing apricots and grapes like there's no tomorrow. There's yeah. hammering the fruit in. But there's so, a lot of semi-consensual nine and a half week style fruit sex happening. With, oh, yeah. absolutely. It's, it's it's like they're trying to be as horny as possible in this, but yeah, a lot of it feels a bit forced when you got two people writhing around on the ground just with apricots randomly getting mashed up. Oh, exactly. <laughs> Call me Mr. Raider. Call me Mr. Wrong. And someone's like fucking trying to hang a whole bunch of grapes in your mouth. Like, what the hell is going on with this? But yeah. Um, look, it's a great song. Um, I I, play, I listen to this catchy. once a day, probably. So one, two, three, four times a day. So yeah. Um, one of the original writers of the song recorded a country version of this song. That sounds bullshit. Not <laughs> yeah, bothered listening to it. It sounds terrible. And Culture Beat themselves, they're still going today um, with, I think, a whole new lineup. So obviously mm-hmm. that guy died in the car crash. They've, Jay Supreme's not involved anymore. The, the chick singer, she, they've got a whole, it's a whole new yep. lineup. So they released a cover of Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas in 2017. Oh, Checked it out on YouTube. Fucking terrible. There's no Eurobeats. Oh, yeah. See, that's exactly right. They're, these guys are a Eurobeats act. What do you think All you need, here you need, you need 140 to 160 <laughs> BPMs. Without that, you're nothing. So I don't know. Um, look, 
Any highlights on the lyrics? Probably the whole song. Um, well, you've, you've <laughs> sort of gone <laughs> sorry, over so much. No, no, it's totally fine. Like, uh, the interesting thing to me about this is it's sung from three perspectives. Yep. So you've got the woman describing Mr. Vane, the titular Mr. Vane. Oh, yeah. Then she's describing what he'd tell you. So she's saying, if I was Mr. Vane, I'd say this. Then you've got Jay Supreme embodying Mr. Vane, saying, I'm Mr. Vane, da da da. Yep. Hold me back. The simple fact is that I'm all that and I'm always near. One sexy can't perplex me. <laughs> Now you know who's roars if you didn't know it before, etc. That kind of thing. But personally, just on a personal level, because I heard this a million times when it came out on the radio, and I thought it was catchy as hell too. The weirdest thing to me is that this is an example of a thing that we need to invent a word for that happens. It's not that common, but I have found it happen a few times from my music listening career. You know Mondegreens? Yep. That's your, your classic uh, misheard lyric for humorous Absolutely. effect. There needs to be a subcategory specifically for when a misheard lyric actually makes more sense or is a better <laughs> lyric than what when you find out what it actually yeah, says exactly. and you're like, what the fuck? Like, for instance, I always thought she was saying, call him Mr. Right or call him Mr. Wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. don't, don't, but she's actually saying, call, call him, him Mr. Raider. Yeah. Call him Mr. I had to double check that and watch her mouth when she sings, but you're right. She's saying, call him Mr. Raider. Call him Mr. Wrong. Makes no now, fucking sense. I'm yeah. not a lyrical genius, but surely Mr. Right slash Mr. Wrong is the exact dichotomy they're talking about in the song. Yeah. And... Mr. Right is actually a thing people say, whereas Mr. Raider is not so much a thing that people say. Nobody is ever fucking said. Maybe they say it in Germany in the Netherlands during the Eurodance era, but, you know, hey, look, you can't argue with results, as I keep saying, and, you know, the result here is a good song, so, yeah. Yeah, you're right, Tom. People have often said to, to some people, someone has said to someone else, oh, is he Mr. Right? Is is that the person that you think you may want to spend... Mm. Your life with, or at least some time with, or is he Mr. Say, wrong? The bad or is, boy, or is he Mr. Is exactly. actually bad for is you, but Mr. you're right? secretly Mr. Wrong? attracted to him. You know, for sure, there's an Whereas attraction Mr. there. Mr. Raider, no um, one's ever said. As far that. as I know, that's not. <laughs> call him Mr. Raider. What is it? Call him. He's like, what the fuck? Like, it's what? Like a well-behaved pirate that I know. He wears a suit to work. <laughs> anyway, hey, but Mr. Yeah, Raider. Yeah, it, like song. by the standards of this kind of thing, it's definitely more interesting than a lot of them. A lot of these Eurodance things did have more interesting music than dance music would later have. It's not just a case of endlessly repeating. Even no. something weird like "Right in the Night" or something would just have strange kind of odd elements to the lyrics. I think the whole ESL thing, as we've said with Roxette, yeah, yeah, exactly. the fact that these were all European countries and they would give them give the lyrics a bit of a weird spin. To me, that adds something yeah. awesome, though, I think. Yeah, they totally. They always make sense. Totally. Like good, that, Mr. Raider is probably more interesting than my version. If he said Mr. Right, Mr. Wrong. Mm. Exactly, for sure. And I'm sure someone else has used that. In Absolutely. Time. Look, um, so yeah, Tom, I think we're going to get the chance to talk about Eurobeats a little bit more <laughs> later because it seems to be the that um, they didn't exist. There's a couple of years of Eurobeat mm. power, and then they're going to fucking die off pretty quick as well. I think both feet for Absolutely. the moment, though. Because two two mil on the Spotify for Culture Beat. Fair enough. <laughs> well, everyone's probably listening to this. I don't really know what else I've got. Sixty one cents. Yeah, that's a bargain. Buy that. That's fantastic. Yep. Um, up next, sixth um, of November for three weeks. Ace of Bass. <laughs> all that she wants now. I, at the time, yep. thought of this as being kind of Eurobeat to me. Because yep. it's got, like we said, the similar music, yep. uh, 
a similar production sound, but it's more of a song, isn't yep. it? Really, there's it's not less enough of a BPMs dance. for like Eurobeats no. has to be one forty plus. I reckon this, this has a kind of reggae-ish swing to it. Yep. I reckon, but yeah, exactly. Big right. hit, so worldwide hit, really big hit for sure. Look, Tom, I'm going to address the elephant in the room. I'm sure. just going to say it. I'm just going to put it out there. Ace of Base, <laughs> they're from Sweden. Yep, Ace of Base is the poor man's rock set. <laughs> is that that's undeniable? I think. Once you've heard, once I heard you say that, then I couldn't deny it. You know, absolutely the poor man's rock set. Um, look, although this album sold twenty million copies, so maybe I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. <laughs> that's a lot. Of, that's a lot of copies. I mean, well, holy shit! Here's another elephant in the room. Uh, it's a question I've been wondering about for thirty years. Mm. Why the fuck didn't they spell it ba- bass like the music? And instead B-A-S-E. spell it B A S E. Ace of bass. Yeah, it makes no sense. Like, why either. is it? Well. They were previously called Tech Noir after oh, a nightclub in the film Terminator, hell. which I'm a big fan of. Jeez, that's okay. But, that's cooler. Yes. That's cooler. After a lineup change, the quartet were looking for a new name to make a fresh start. Uh, Lynn, who's one of the female singers, was reported to have said, no one could pronounce the name of the group and nobody could remember it, which, fair enough. Um, I would have, but I'm a big Terminator fan. They settled on Ace of Bass in early 91 after Ulf was inspired by the Motorhead song Ace of Spades. Okay. You know Motorhead, who sounds just like Roxette. <laughs> they sound identical to In this. an interview in 2018, Ulf explained, the name came out of a hangover I had on New Year's Day. I was watching TV, saw Motorhead's video for Ace of Spades. Again, looks nothing, sounds nothing <laughs> like them. Uh, featured in the young ones. I liked the name and thought I'd play around with those words. We have four members in this band, so I thought four aces. I'll keep the ace. Then I thought of how stu- our studio and how it's our base. It's, this is this is that English is a second Makes language no thing that I'm doing that just doesn't make any fucking sense. It's still dumb. I'm sorry. Even after that paragraph of explanation, just, this gets back to the band name thing. Now, if you saw this in a $5 bin and these guys had had one vaguely half-remembered song on number 78 yeah. from, you know, 93, would you think, fuck, that's a dumb name? Or does it seem like the fully sick name it is now because of their huge worldwide success? Yeah, it's you know? a fair question. Yeah, absolutely. Look, um, I mean, Ace does run with bass. I can't it, argue it, with that. I can't deny that. You know? Look, I. But you're right. I can't imagine anyone watching the to or listening to Motorhead Ace of Spades and then saying, <laughs> "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah." Let's change that to Ace of Bass. Mm. Also, then, it's a song title, not a band title. It's ridiculous. Doesn't sound anything like us. Has nothing to do... Yeah, anyway. Look, um, you mentioned Ulf, Tom. I'm going to bring you up. Look, I, sure. don't, I don't want to mention this, but look, I have to mention this. I think that anyone that <laughs> has a copy of Ace of Bass, you know, sold 20 million copies. Mm-hmm. Someone might have this on their bookshelf. I think people need to know this, that Ulf, who was a founding member of Ace of Bass, um, prior to playing in Ace of Bass, was a member of a band called Commit Suicide, um, which was mm. effectively... Folk? Um, Folk they were a white power band, Tom. <laughs> ah, so, okay. Ulf um, did come out and say that he regrets this part of his life. It was a big mistake. Um, commit Suicide. <laughs> Look, they were a neo-Nazi band, um, active from 83 to 86. Um, and look... You know, they also have sort of suggested that perhaps Ulf himself with a skinhead, but that's fine, you know, that's okay, I'll let him do that. But what about the songs, Tom? What about the songs? Well, mm. um, they had a song called uh, Don't Touch Our Land, um, White Power, Blackhead Slaughter, and they did a cover of a Screwdriver song, and everyone knows Screwdriver mm. are basically, you know, the, uh, you know the archetype <laughs> of white power band. So look, um, I'm saying that... Uh, commit suicide or cancel. Yeah, look, I, I don't think want to so. step I out of so. my lane. But yeah. 
Um, and then Oof apparently said, look, I've told everyone I regret what I've done. I've closed that book. I don't even want to talk about it. That time doesn't exist anymore. I closed it and threw the book away. I took my experiences and I've learned from it. That's not me, it's someone else. Sounds pretty convenient. <laughs> Someone's dug into your past and found out that you're a Nazi and now you just want to move on and not talk about it anymore. Cool, bro. I guess that's it then. We're done. So easy, 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 easy. So I, I don't really know. Like, um, Does that mean if you've got an ace of base... Look, I, I guess what it does mean. I'm not. I'm, I, I was going to ask this as a question, pose it a question, but mm. I think I'll just state: if you've got an Ace of Base CD on your bookshelf, you're a Nazi sympathizer. Is that fair enough? <laughs> I think that's fair. Yeah, enough. I yeah, think exactly. that's the only logical. Trash them. If I see, if, I think so. I think so. If I see anyone with an Ace of Base T-shirt, I just assume that you're sort of like you may as well have been, you know, <laughs> pumping that gas into the chambers at Auschwitz, I guess. But you know. <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe not quite that far. But I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> oh, look. You know, it's the only inference that makes any sense. For me. sure. Look, and I and I checked out some of the lyrics to this song, one of the early demos. I don't think it made it through to the um to the actual. I mean, I, you know, listening to the song now, I, I couldn't pick it out. But one of the demos apparently it's like. When she wakes up late in the morning light, and the day has just begun, she opens up her eyes and thought. Oh, what a morning. It's not a day for working. It's a day for stabbing Jews. Just laying on the beach, go stab some Jews. Or they're going to get you. So I think mm. even even into Ace of Base, his like influence got in there. a subtextual element to it that I think people so. didn't pick up at the time. I think know. so, I think so. So look, it's, it's safe to say that Ace of Base are effectively a neo-Nazi band. Mm. Um, I'm cancelling them. Sure. Just be, and also because they're just terrible. I mean, I, I don't I mean, like the song. I suppose you could say at least he stopped being a Nazi while he was still a teenager, which puts him well ahead of about a quarter of the internet. And that's true. Several mainstream Western politicians. That's, you know, but that's exactly right. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, look, I have to say this one didn't do much for me at the time. No. It is. It's still pretty catchy, but it comes from that sort of basic swing. I think you know. Yeah. Apparently, they they sent producer Dennis Pop. Dennett's Pop, a demo tape in 92 with a song called Mr. Ace. He didn't think much of it, but then the tape got stuck in his car cassette player, so he had to listen to it for weeks. Nice. And gradually came to see its potential renamed and re-recorded as All That She Wants. So, as we've talked about before, you really can't underrate the importance to young musicians of using interrogation techniques in order to get your song recorded. <laughs> that's Whether that's using physical violence to get sure to sing your song, yep. using weird lies about Olivia Newton-John to get Susanna Hoff's top off, or using Ace of Bass on repeat until a man's brain has been reduced to ricotta cheese exactly. and he thinks that this should be his next big single. But then again, again, results, you know, look, worldwide hit, so... Perhaps he knew the trick of getting it stuck in everyone's mental car cassette player, which we all had in 93. Oh, exactly right, exactly. So it's good that they, um, no matter what means you use to get a record deal, you know, you've got to use them. So look, <laughs> if that involves getting a cassette stuck... So that's why I say to young people today, don't send someone an MP3 of your songs. Don't sort of like... Yes. Give them a cassette and hope that it gets stuck in some sort no, of device. Find out where they live. Find out where they live. Send them the cassette. Maybe just send them the cassette in a cassette Oh, no, bring you know them the cassette bring to them their the door cassette. at 4am. Exactly Stand right. under the automatic floodlights, just staring at them without yeah. blinking, holding the cassette Give them until the cassette. Uh, they do something about it, you know? Exactly Make something right. of yourself. For, oh, <laughs> for sure. I think that's the way to go, definitely. Work for Ace of Base. Get on um, the news. That's oh, what I'm saying. Definitely, you know? definitely. 
Um, so look, 3.9 million listeners. That's a lot more than I thought they'd have. Um, <laughs> but they've got a few hits. You know, hey. a lot of Nazis out there probably love this shit. Plus, um, also, 45 cents. Weirdly, this is one of those ones that sticks in people's heads. You know how people remember Flock of Seagulls from as an 80s yep. band, even though they had like one hit that wasn't that big and no. never did anything else. But they, for some reason, they come to personify 80s weird pop stuff. Because people think of Ace of Base as like this 90s kind of symbol of... True. Thing, even though they really only had a couple of yeah. hits outside of Sweden, I think, you know. Oh, anyway. exactly. All right. Um, That's all I've got any, to say. Any lyrical highlights? Oh, I think up? you covered the, the lyrical highlights of... <laughs> Stab and Juice, yeah. <laughs> fuck those fucking I mean, I wouldn't, have put, I wouldn't have picked them as it, but, you know... Oh, look, either would I, Tom, but look, the proof's in the pudding, so... Clearly. You know, that's, that's there, and so... And that pudding has got a swastika carved into it with Oh, carrots. it does. It absolutely does, yeah. Fuck those guys. I'm calling them out now. Um, <laughs> last up for the year, last song, mm. from 27th of November to the rest of the year and some into next year oh, for God. seven weeks, whew, Brian mm. Adams, please forgive me. Fuck. Forget... Being a neo-Nazi, this is the true dark side of the 90s. Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah this song sucks shit. Um, look, um, it's a number one in Australia, and I think this is his only number one in Australia for Brian Adams that isn't a song that featured on a major motion picture <laughs> soundtrack. Like all the ones that we've discussed in the past, and unfortunately we have to discuss some more in the future, um, they're all God. on... Like they're all like fucking from Robin Hood or some bullshit yeah. like that. So. I mean, he just was this big across the world too. This you can't just blame this one on Australia. Like he was everywhere, loved him. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I'm a big fan of uh, you know Summer of '69. Who isn't? <laughs> um, can't stop this thing we started. All that sort of stuff. Um, kind of the like, one where he sings, "I want to ride your broom right into my room." I don't know what that song is. It's but kind it's of all like good. dad rock that. Unfortunately, young people also seem to be into as well. But yeah, yeah. this one's fucking boring. Yeah, um, I hated him at the time. I've got to say, I just really didn't like him. There's nothing about him that I liked. Yeah, so this this song features. Um, so he released a greatest hit soundtrack. Um, ah, yep. And as was the case in the day, you put you got to record one new song, don't you? Oh yeah, it's my yeah, greatest hit plus a new song that no one's ever heard of. Yeah. So that the diehard dudes that already owned your other previous two albums that you know, yep. compiled the <laughs> we'll greatest hits, well, then yeah. it's like, oh, it's got that new song. I better buy that as well. So he did that. Um, he wrote this one um, with Mutt Lang, who's um, we talked about Shania Twain's ex-husband yes. and also did a heap of shit with like Def Leppard and ACDC all those guys Cocaine so probably Cocaine probably wrote this song went to number one for seven weeks fuck knows who was buying this I was Again, bored as hell I think you it bored was as hell? dads and bogan teenagers yep. but that doesn't explain the rest of the world I mean there are a lot of dads but Brian Adams wasn't old that's the thing yeah no it just bored the piss out of me yeah like, it sucks I mean I think like you were saying before he started out with a kind of sort of pop rock bent but just as time and he kept having those fucking big ballad hits yep. not power ballads just ballads yep. and then it's, it was like the lesson he learnt from that was oh I should keep fucking just doing this crank thing crank out just, some ballads yep, yeah exactly turn them out for sure so oh, yeah boy. this sucks pretty bored I'm bored by just even talking about it um, so I'm going to fast forward to 2020 where um, Brian Adams I was sort of like <laughs> hey what are you up to now bro um, check out your Twitter and I was hit with this, um, quote, Tonight was supposed to be the beginning of a tenancy of gigs at the Royal Albert Hall. 
But thanks to some fucking bat-eating, wet-market, animal-selling, virus-making, greedy bastard, the whole world is now on hold. Not to mention the thousands that have suffered or died from the virus. Mm, there you go. That's from Brian Adams' presumed Trump photo, so, I'm guessing. So, um, sounds like he wasn't that excited <laughs> by the coronavirus um, or by people or bad eaters. So, it's pretty good. So, if I may just borrow the next bit of this, yep. you've put here, Adams added that his message to them other than thanks a fucking lot is go vegan. Yeah, I think so. So, he's a Trump voting vegan yep. who... Is a bit confused here because, hang on, <laughs> he's got, thanks to some fucking bat-eating wet market selling, so they've got the virus because they've eaten a bat with yep. the virus, but then they've also, China, presumably, unnamed yep. individuals, have also made the virus. Yep. So did they make the virus, then put it into bats, and then serve them at restaurants in order to... Look, it's hard to know put, with Brian they just, with the, Surely there's more easier ways to disperse a virus than... <laughs> Injected into bats and hope that people eat the ones with the virus. Oh, look, it sounds what Brian's main message is. Um, <laughs> go vegan, don't eat bats, and then we're going to be okay. Then Vote Trump. Look, if, if we're all vegan, no one be eating bats, and I'd be playing at the Royal Albert Hall tonight, and everyone wins, but because yes. we're not so... I think that's the main thrust. Go mm. vegan's the main thrust. Mm. Because um, he's a struggling musician. He really needs the money that he'd be getting from the fucking concert full of exactly. 50-year-old dads that he was about to perform at. Look, COVID really brought out the best in people, didn't Definitely. it? Definitely. So that's where he stands on coronavirus. <sighs> I mean, um, I guess it's good that he's a vegan, yep. although that might also explain how his music is like eating a Coles food court salad that was reheated <laughs> in a microwave. Um, sorry, but I had to listen to too much of this in the 90s. And no, Adams, I do not forgive you for what you've done. Uh, lyrical spotlight, fuck this sucks. How yeah, about that's, that? that's true. Um, still feels like our first night together. Feels like the first kiss and it's getting better, baby. No one can better this. Still holding on, you're still the one. First time our eyes met, same feeling I get. Feels much stronger. Want to love you longer. Please forgive me, I know not what I do. Please forgive me, I can't stop loving you. Don't deny me this pain I'm going through. So in this fairy tale bullshit he's concocted with his mayonnaise white salad powered Canadian brain, he couldn't even be fucked inventing something to actually ask forgiveness for. Yeah. Like he's just forgive me because I'm too into you. Like that's the most interesting thing you think of. It sounds like the pain he's going through is of the period variety. And writing a song about asking forgiveness for being too perfect is basically a direct insult to your partner. So I'm saying. Um, if he actually wrote this for any real person, which I guarantee that he didn't, this <laughs> pandering shit is exactly what happens when an artist starts creating art purely on the basis of what they reckon their audience wants and nothing else. When you start just thinking, what do these twats want to hear? And I'll make that. And the reason it keeps happening is that sometimes, like with Mr. Adams, an artist's one true gift turns out to be working out what Kmart shoppers want, yeah. and then they make $100 million on a plane, and then the whole sorry cycle starts again. And like, even if you compare shit like this to Meatloaf, suddenly his eight-minute pseudo-operatic power balance about convincing teenagers to get naked in parked cars seem like timeless works of emotional honesty <laughs> and high drama, yeah. like compared to, please forgive me, I don't know what I'm doing, Please forgive me for loving you too much. Please forgive me. I need you. It's just 
so Canadian and bad. See, I'm, now I'm just insulting Canadians. I'm yeah. sorry. Canadians deserve better than this shit, truly. Oh, look, safe to say this song sucks shit. Um, I, I'm embarrassed for all of Australians for buying... Oh, hell so yeah, that's right. We're not blameless. Weeks, so. How many fucking number ones did he have here? Jesus Christ. Got like you so say, there's more coming There's up. more coming, so you're into that. And, um, sorry about are... that rant. I just no. I hated him so much at the time. It's oh, been look. a bad year for me. Him and Sonia Dada together, it's a real one-two punch in the ghoulies. Look, some lyrics are coming up from some of his future songs, some which I think are even worse than <laughs> this, so we can discuss those in the future, oh, which okay. is, yeah, we'll wait, we'll wait for those I future I thought the weeks last, what did we do before? What was the previous one we did? Um, the theme from Robin Hood, Prince There's of no Thieves. There's no love I could do like it. your, your love. love. Yeah. Could I get more of some of your <laughs> love? Yeah. Uh, Jesus, Pretty good. Harold Pretty good. Christ. So that's it for this year. Um, okay. Brian, I think, bleeds over a couple of weeks into the next year, as is always the case. Um, other hits. few little um, scattered ones. Tell you what, we've got a few good ones in oh, there. Um, Can't Get Enough of Your Love by Taylor Dane. Peaked at number two. As did Sweat, a la 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 long Oh my Inner God, that's the, that's the uppercut. You think you've had one in the face and then one in the nuts from Brian Adams and then Sweat, a la 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 knocks you onto your ass. It, I, I, honest to God, sorry to interrupt, but yep. I think this could be my vote for worst song of the 90s. <laughs> I reckon it's worse than Sonia Dada and Brian Adams and Peter Andre from yep. this year. Look, I, it might be in my top three songs, the worst songs I've ever heard. I would rather get Lady in Red stuck in my car cassette player for a decade yep. than hear that piece of shit song. It's um, fucked. Do you love the lyrics, Girl, I'm going to make you sweat? Sweat till you can't sweat no more. And then when you cry out, I'm going to push it some more. Mm. Just sounds a bit... Um, I like the way that those rapey lyrics are repeated 468 yeah. times in a row over a song. It's not even really a song. It sounds like a... a la, 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 la. Yes, a it sounds la, la, like la, la, a My First Muppets play at home keyboard when you've pressed the reggae preset button on top of it. Oh, man. Do we have time for a two-minute personal anecdote, Tom? Oh, please. Um, I, my wife and I went to, um, when we were living in the UK, went to Ireland for a holiday. We caught a mm-hmm. boat there. Yep. Um, you should never do that because that sea is apparently pretty rough. So on the way back, <laughs> our return boat was cancelled. Yep. We had to get a different boat. Um, so we had to wait for fucking ever to get on this boat. Oh, we jumped geez. on this bigger boat. We got on there. Um, it was rocky as hell. I was really tired and sort of tried to sleep on some weird couch or something. Yep. There was a woman next to me just going, Oh, Jesus Christ, save us from this rough sea. Oh, Doing like a religious wow. sort of thing. Pretty whack as hell. I just sort of like, and I had conjunctivitis that I caught oh from God. the Airbnb I was staying in. So my <laughs> eyes were stuck together. So oh, I, thought for, I thought for a split second, Tom, I couldn't open my eyes. I thought perhaps I had died. Mm-hmm. And my eyes were joined together. I couldn't open them, and a woman's, "Oh Jesus Christ, welcome to this." So I just thought that maybe wow. was this heaven on a boat, and then I realised I peeled my eyes open, realised it wasn't heaven. It was just a really <laughs> weird boat. Um, and as a non-religious person, I was sort of thankful that there wasn't a heaven. So um, after that, had to once we got the boat across that Irish Sea, had to get instead of getting a quick train down to the to to London, yep. the London. Had to get on a bus that took about fucking a thousand hours to get there. Oh my god. Um, I was sitting on the back seat of the bus. The dude directly in front of me had um, earphones out so that everyone could hear what he was playing. You know what he was playing, Tom? Let me guess. The very best of Inner Circle. (laughs) But he only played 
Sweat, a la 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 long, <sighs> and Bad Boys on a loop. <sighs> so I was trying to get a bit of sleep <laughs> and just hearing for about six hours. Just a la 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 long, a la 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 long, 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 long. Good lord. But girl, I want to make you sweat. <laughs> sweat like you can't sweat no more. So that was um, fucking harrowing, Tom. It was terrible. But yeah, so I think I sort of share the same sort of. <laughs> disdain for that song yeah. that you do for probably a different reason is but, it um, possible that you died and we both inhale and part of that is being forced to listen to it sweat a lot <laughs> yeah I might, I might be dead now I don't really know am I living in the matrix it's hard to say but yeah um, yeah sweat look it's terrible that was a pretty bad experience having to listen to sweat for you like might think I'm exaggerating if you don't go and have a listen to it like you know Jesus I don't yeah. know what to tell you what do you think um, is there other hit single bad boys is that any better bad boys bad boys what you gonna do yeah. it is better I mean, obviously it's but... better and people know it because it was in um, people still remember it because of bad boys bad and boys. the TV show <laughs> Cops which it was the theme yeah, song yeah. of for a while it's definitely better but it doesn't help that I hate reggae but that song is incredibly tedious and rapey as hell yep. and just awful I just yeah, I hate this it song is pretty sketchy exactly completely agree um, What's Up by Four Non Blondes another <laughs> number two song Jesus um, yeah, some, there is some interesting they have some great hats they did. Um, they they a lot, did. wore a lot of hats. Um, they also did a great Led Zeppelin cover, which I think is probably better than the original <laughs> time. But um, uh, well, yeah. what's going on? This is, the funny thing about this song is this is this is sort of post grunge, but we're still in grunge. Well, it's post the start of grunge. Yep. Yeah. No, Pro, I mean, does this count as a grunge song? Do uh, they count as a grunge? No, band? it's kind of like that rock thing that you were talking about from before, yeah. though. Like they're clearly influenced and they dress in this weird way I remember reading an interview with the lead singer from that and she said I deliberately make myself ugly so that the band doesn't turn out to you know or wear weird clothes so that it doesn't turn out to be your typical glam rock sex yeah, appeal kind yeah. of thing which is a pretty big fucking humble brag if you think about it but oh, absolutely um, yeah I'm fucking hot as hell but I make <laughs> myself look like a dickhead by wearing a massive hat and singing a shitty song yep. um, songs that peaked at number three How Do You Talk To An Angel by The Heights <laughs> which is a fucking banger mm. if you don't know The Heights um uh, people know 90210 or am uh, I, am yes, I even going back yeah. too far no, so um yep yeah. The Love Boat, 90210, yep. all that shit is, um, you know, an, uh, an Aaron Spelling production. Um, the Heights is one of his other shows from the 90s. And this is a show about a band. Just some dudes oh, living together, yes. a bit yeah. of a share house, they're in a band. And, and this was this was a song from the TV show that ended up from being almost a number band. one hit. So, exactly. Um, how do you talk to an angel, Tom? It's a question I still can't <laughs> answer. So, um, December 1963, Oh What A Night. Um, by the that's that shit sucks. Um, you ain't thinking about me by Sonia Dana. Mm, that's a kick before. in the ribs while you're lying on the ground. Give me a little sign by Peter Andre. That's another kick in the ribs. Two princes by Spin Doctors. <laughs> Again, the guitar thing we're talking about. That's yep. kind of pop. They look like grunge, but really it's like pop rock. Yeah, sort of with a kind of grungy and an alternative-ish flavour to it. Like, yeah, I remember walking past a bar in Manchester in about 2010 and hearing two princes <laughs> flying out the door. Uh, and just yeah. went, oh, someone's doing a fucking um, Spin Doctors cover. Lo and behold, it was just the actual <laughs> Spin Doctors. So how the yeah, how the mighty how the mighty have fallen? Bigger so, yeah. gigs that year. <laughs> exactly. Want, um, we've got the key, the secret. Uh, That's uh, does that count as a Eurodance? I would have oh, filed that as by totally Urban does. Cookie Collective. Absolutely does, yeah, for sure. I think that's good. Uh, um, also, I'd put in a 
notice for ah that was one I was trying to think of weeks ago The Floor by Johnny Gill Johnny <laughs> yeah, Gill was one of the guys from uh, New Edition New yeah, Edition exactly. which also the spawned floor. Bill Bill DeVoe and um, Bobby Brown Bobby Brown that exactly. was, they were a, a, a power group but yeah that was that was quite catchy I didn't mind that absolutely yeah. we've got um, O Carolina by Shaggy fantastic yep. My Name is Prince um, oh, and Creep. Sexy MF Radiohead Creep yep Radiohead Creep yeah, as you mentioned, um, Everybody Hurts, R.E.M. Dream Lover by Mariah Carey. Um, Funky yeah. Junkie by Peter Funky Andre. Junkie by Peter Andre. So a lot of other and hits in there. one last question, Ben. Last kick in the ribs while you're yep. on the ground. Do you think is it's possible that Chocolate Starfish is the single worst band name of all time? Speaking of band... I didn't tee that up, but speaking of band names as we were before. Mm. I guess you could argue that the fact that they had a minor hit with uh, a cover of You're So Vain demonstrates that yeah. band name can't be everything because there's no possible way that yeah. anyone could get a band name. That's, I mean, that's, it's terrible. Look, I, I think personally something along the lines of, say, um, Limp Biscuit is pretty bad. Limp as a Biscuit band is terrible, yeah. sure. But he's just... But I mean, chocolate starfish, you might as well call your band Anus. Yeah, you may as Unless well, yeah. you're a very specific type of grindcore band from yeah, Scandinavia, exactly. calling yourself Anus yeah. is probably not... This was not a grindcore band. No, they no. were a shitty pop band. It's pretty bad. Oh, I'll give, I'll, yeah, I'll give them that. So, well, good Did on they them. think nobody knew what that meant? Do you reckon? Uh, That's the only explanation I could yeah, think of. Yeah, I would have of. thought so as well. But Unless like, they accidentally had a hit with that anyway. Look, power to them for having that hit. So, so anyway, yeah, look, that's um, 1993. So many bangers. So many <laughs> shit <laughs> songs as well. Yeah, is that, is that mean, every year? Yes, the quality. It's like a mountain range. The exactly. graph of quality going For sure. So, look, we'll be back next week with 1994. Um, yes. I, I won't... You know, no spoilers. I won't tell you what's coming up, but I think there's going to be a few bangers and some oh. fucking shit house songs as well. I'm looking probably. for another mountain range. Okay, absolutely. All right, take care. Peace out. See ya.